Welcome everyone to Comics from the Multiverse episode 396. Holy crap, we're almost at 400. I am Peter and joining me as always is Matt. You could make the argument that it might be 400 too many. <laughs> you know, but we're not there yet. So we're still we're still within the acceptable range. I was just like we shouldn't have had any episode. You're just saying that the perfect amount might have been zero. I mean, judging how some people talk about me online, yes. <laughs> they, they would have preferred that. But they could stick it, because... Actually, but, that's not true. I'm making up things. No one's ever that mean to me online. I mean, I feel like you could argue that, oh, no, we had a prime, and we're kind of just been on fumes for years. Yeah. I don't actually yeah. think that's true. I think we're more comfortable and better at talking on this stupid <laughs> show than we were at the start, but... It's reps. 10,000 hours, man. <laughs> oh, that's not work out the hours. I don't want to know how many hours no. this show adds up to. <laughs> that's too many. Uh, I do remember in the early days, though, uh, you saying, hey, can we try and make the show not go over and over long? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, that was a little bit different, dude, because Rebirth was, was a bit different. Like, we, we weren't going to go as in-depth. That's and now crazy. I push for, can we try to keep it around two? And that usually never happens because uh, more or less DC puts out a lot of stuff that I want to read. I, mean, I, I wouldn't necessarily say it's all good, but I, I have the desire to read it and I can't help myself. Two, two is two is a t- typical, I'd say. Uh, mm-hmm. Then there's the bigger weeks where you, you're we're hitting like yeah. three, things are really stretched out. But... And, and I'm very thankful that so far it's looking like when I when I look forward in time, it doesn't look like there's too many books coming out at one time like it was no, a co- even a couple months back. I mean, maybe it'll change when we get the, the June or July solicits, but uh, as of right now, the next few months, there's not a lot of new things launching, so there's yep. nothing to really inflate the the books. Yeah. So, uh, hey, we do have some news today, which will at least give us a few extra things to read in July and a few things on the, up, mm-hmm. on the, the, the ramp up to it. But yes, welcome everyone. This is a DC Comics podcast. We get together... We talk about the DC books we read this week. Coming on this week's show, we'll be talking about Batman 144, Superman 11, Wonder Woman 6, Nightwing 111, Titans 8, Green Lantern War Journal issue 6, Batman Superman World's Finest 24, and Justice League vs. Godzilla vs. Kong issue 5 to wrap up. So that is what's coming on the show this week. Uh, you can look forward to that. But like I said, there's a bit of news as well, and obviously Matt's mm-hmm. favourite segment, so uh, we'll, we'll, we'll get into mm-hmm. all, all, the, all the juicy things. In fact, we'll start with that. We'll start with the juicy segment, right? Mm-hmm. We'll, 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 we'll small talk after. It is the list, the top ten, formerly known as the Comixology <laughs> top ten. Yes. Uh, separated by Tuesday and Wednesday, which also may not be a thing uh, after July. More than that in the news later. Uh we're going to look at these these uh, rank rankings based on the Kindle store, the comic Kindle store as of right now at the time of recording. So, Matt, what do you think is mm-hmm. number one from Tuesday? I hate it, but it's probably Batman 144. <laughs> it is Batman, yes. Yeah. It is what it is. Uh, number two is Wonder Woman, so that's still seemingly doing quite well. Mm-hmm. Number three is World's Finest, Mark Wade sells amongst the, the mm-hmm. comic nerds. Four is Nightwing. Uh, mm-hmm. Then you have five is Justice League versus Godzilla versus Kong, which has kind of been punching above its weight. Yep. Uh, number six is Superman, and number seven is Titans, and then number eight is John Constantine Hellblazer. Number nine is Green Lantern War Journal, and number ten is Catwoman. So healthy top yeah. ten this mm-hmm. week. Uh, I w- I would say that uh, most of those things feel like they're doing well based on how they usually rank amongst each other. So very good. Yeah. Very good. I like seeing Wonder Woman so high. 
Because even even when we were really enjoying the book, I don't remember it selling like it is with King. So yeah. that's good. Yeah, I like that too. Uh, I think Nightwing typically has done really well under Taylor, yeah. so it's maybe just a testament to how well those other things are selling. Mm-hmm. As much as I, we, I did, yeah, I was going to say, I, I have felt there's been a cooling off of Nightwing, uh, just judging from how people are talking online. Um, but maybe, maybe with this issue, we'll jump back into what was making it exciting. So you know, might well, jump back up there. I mean, yeah, I had a weaker arc, but I don't think it's mm-hmm. maybe killed off that much. I think, uh, I mean, Batman just always sells a lot based on its name. It's the yeah. only one I'm disappointed is doing well relatively yeah. to others, but hey, that's what it is. Uh, then Wednesday, would you care mm-hmm. to guess number one? I scoped this out at the comic shop because I looked for it this week. Uh, I'm guessing it's going to be Rise of the Power of X number two. No. What? Oh no, it's gods. That's this other stupid book. <laughs> it's not gods. What? What is what in the name? <laughs> I have no idea what else it could it's not, is it Ultimate Spider Man? It's Ultimate Spider Man number two. Yeah. Ah, Hickman Hickman's so big that even issue two is from sell Yeah. One dang. Oversold the X event thing. Uh, you know, the usual cheat code. Yeah. So yeah, number one's Ultimate Spider-Man. Number two is Rise of the Powers of X. Uh, number three is a non-Marvel book. It's Cobra Commander. Hey. I, I, yeah, people in America like G.I. Joe, I guess. Well, so I guess um, they have, they're relaunching all of the toy brands under this banner. So that's why the Williamson Duke, the uh, Daniel Warren Johnson Transformers stuff. This is also Williamson. So uh, it's under the Skybound imprinted image. Uh, which was new because I think IDW had them before. Mm. Well, so. I read enough from Joshua Williamson, and yes. I have never given a single solitary shit about GI Joe, so I'm good. So you never saw the redub stuff that made their way around YouTube, you know, 20 years ago, almost now at this point. Nope. GI Joe sandwiches was never a thing in the UK. It, yeah, it makes sense. It makes ne- sense. It never made a dent culturally. It is, it is a bit nationalistic, but hey. <laughs> uh, number four is X-Force. Number five is Gods. Uh, mm-hmm. Number six, funnily enough, is G.I. Joe, a real American hero. Number seven mm-hmm. is Daredevil. Number eight is Incredible Hulk. Number nine is Star Wars. And number ten is Guardians of the Galaxy Annual. So... Uh, still Marvel heavy. The two non-Marvel mm-hmm. books are both GI Joe related, funnily enough. So mm-hmm. very nice. Uh, so also, although there is a new Alien number one this week, uh, Alien mm-hmm. White and Blo- uh, sorry, Black, White and Blood. So it's kind of like that Harley yeah. Quinn, Black, White and Red. Uh, Interesting. Book. Yeah. I don't uh, associate Red with with Alien. So not the Alien itself, but I guess all the blood that comes from the. It's true, but like with, I always picture like blues and like lighter, lighter tones when it comes to that neck of the world. So yeah, it's, uh, uh, should stand out even more though. It's uh, Kelly and Lansing. Uh, huh? Well, they're doing some stories, and I think it's an anthology. But yeah, that makes uh, sense. Yeah, they're listed on the uh, on the page. So there you go. There's the uh, the top ten, and like I said, we do have uh, some news to talk about this week. Two things that I, I, I've I've taken down particularly that uh, that are important, I think. One 
is we have now what the event's going to be in the summer. We know what that's going to be. And it's also the answer to what Mark Wade and Dan Moore are working on. So it's the 4SU limited series uh, in July. However, uh, as expected, there's going to be a short thing in the free comic book day special, as there usually is mm-hmm. for these things. And then there's going to be like a like an issue zero one shot kind of thing. Uh, so it's called Absolute Power. Four issue book with a uh, Absolute Power Ground Zero is the uh, one shot that's going to come out. Uh, I think in May. That's a solid name oh, for sure. a zero issue. Uh, and this is all about Amanda Waller kind of trying to level up, which you know makes sense. This is what they've been teasing mm-hmm. in various stories. Um, apparently, the one shot is going to bridge kind of the end of the Superman House of Brainiac arc. So some of that stuff that Williamson's doing in Superman in action mm-hmm. is going to maybe set some of this up as well. And then it's going to be Wade and Mora doing the actual series. So there's some covers to look at uh, if you want to check those out. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a few preview pages as well. So obviously it's Dan Mora. So the art's going to be... Uh, top notch. Top notch, yeah. Um, it doesn't... I'm trying to skim the article here to see if it says uh, if it's going to be releasing like two issues a month because it feels like one of those ones that should be quick mm-hmm. but I don't know... Uh, I don't know. No, the only thing I see is... Uh, it's not even dates but it's the other Elseworld titles that they're going to be running out at the bottom of the article. Yeah, yeah. So... Well, which is unrelated to this. Uh, yeah. It's just, yeah, they're doing a bunch of Elseworld uh, books. Uh, Gotham by Gaslight, The Kryptonian Age... Uh, Dark Knights of Steel, uh, All Winter, uh, DC vs. Vampires, World War V. And these aren't new titles. We heard these before. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, and there's a few other ones. I'm, I'm just I'm going to list them all again. No. So, I mean, yeah, honestly, it's the creative team behind it is exciting. And I can't deny that they have been like building to Amanda Waller making bigger plays. So it mm-hmm. makes sense. And just judging from who's been writing Waller, it's it is nice it's seeming they're all getting a turn. Right, because Williamson yeah. got to launch some of the stuff, and then it jumped to Taylor, and now it's going to Wade. So I feel like, in trying to set up like a new status quo for her in the DCU, it's nice that it's coming from different creatives, not just one. Yeah, it feels like an initiative that's going through a lot mm-hmm. of the people that are doing a lot of the bigger books, which is mm-hmm. which is good. So yeah, yeah. Um, admittedly, am I going to think this was worth losing Wade uh, and more on Shazam? I mean, probably not, but you know. <laughs> No, however, Josie Campbell. We no, know, we do. No, and, we do. We have a good team yeah. replacing them. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying we yes, don't. But but it's not Wade Mora and the the silliness that we've become accustomed to. So yeah, we'll see how it is. I mean, as far as these events go, I I really enjoyed Beast World, and I mm-hmm. think with these names attached, I'll probably enjoy this as well uh, mm-hmm. for what it is. So that's that's cool. Uh, and the other bit of news here is that we're shifting back to Wednesdays at DC, uh, starting in July. Gives, <laughs> gives me a, one less day to read. <laughs> yeah, my leg's having the extra day to read before I we have to record. <laughs> like, I can, get, I can get Batman out of my system right now. You know, just read that. And then uh, the rest of my week's great. Yeah, can you believe that when this changes to Wednesdays, it'll have been four years at Tuesday? Because that, that was the, the early pandemic. That was when the books yeah. came back after mm-hmm. that month and a half off. So I will say that it didn't really impact me physically because my shop would get them on Tuesdays. They just wouldn't put them out till Wednesdays. Yeah. You know, so if there was any kind of delay, like a couple times, their Marvel shipment or Indies shipment would get, you know, because it was all separate from DC at that point. Sometimes they would get delayed, but DC would be there. 
you know, so it was kind of a boon for them. Um, so, uh, not, not that, you know, everything's digital now anyway. So if stuff doesn't come in, I at least have a backup that, you know, I don't have to wait for the, the physicals, but yeah, I like having that extra day. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, it doesn't really affect me all that much. Uh, yeah. you know, I, I get the books digitally. I tend not to read them till Friday or Saturday anyway. So it then been out on the Wednesday instead of the Tuesday makes zero difference, mm-hmm. uh, to me. Uh, and if you are someone who's shop, because I know a lot of shops did just wait until Wednesday just so yeah. they were with the other books, then it will make a difference to you. So it feels like this is just sort of mm-hmm. syncing back up with everyone else. Um, yeah. So, yeah. Uh, hey. So. All right. Well, there you go. That's uh, that's, that's the news. They're not really big things. We got an event coming and we got uh, this shift on release days, but mm-hmm. uh, I don't have too much to say on either subject at this point. So... No, very good. Uh, I will say the one positive thing is is the top ten won't take as long because now it's just back to one. It's just I actually think it'll be more yeah. interesting because you got DC and Marvel mm-hmm. mixed up. Yeah, it's less interesting when they separate. Yeah, so instead of doing two, we'll do one, and then you know be off on our way. <laughs> Man, I remember I used to cut myself to spite my face, right? Cut you to spite your face, but I tried to drag that out, thinking that it would stop people from wanting to listen to it, but. Pete, Pete's pretty stubborn as well. So we just, it would take as long as it needed to be. Uh, <laughs> never, never stop doing it. No matter how, how many hockey towns I would try to get Connor off on. Uh, yeah, it's not going to work. Nope. Never going to work with me, Matt. You're just going to have to, the only way to do it is to, is to do the time. That's it. Right, that's right. There's no Get no busy shortcuts. living or get busy dying. I believe that was in Shawshank. I wasn't did a Shawshank Redemption reference. You just uh, pulled out your ass. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Okay. Well, um, well, we can just get into the books then. I think uh, yeah. we have uh, a reasonable number of them, and some of them are, are quite exciting to talk about. Uh, that does not include though the first book. Starting with, <laughs> yeah, I was I started my week with Batman. I ended it with with Wonder Woman. And let me just tell you. That was, it was like climbing a mountain because <laughs> if we started low, we ended high and you know, uh, yeah. All right. So Batman 144 legacy number 909, Chip Zarsky writing with Giuseppe Camincoli and Andrea Sorrentino on the art. So yeah, Joker year one's obviously not been something we've been overly enthusiastic about. I especially hated a lot of things about that last issue. This one's less offensive. I didn't mm-hmm. like it that much, but it's not as it didn't make me as angry as last time. No, I didn't mind the the past stuff, the the year one stuff as much because it ended up just becoming like a like a typical Batman story that was set year one where he's dealing with corruption versus just the out and out supervillains. I mean, it barely had anything to do with Batman. It was mostly Gordon like dealing with like all these corrupt yeah. cops who became the Red Hood gang at the because so basically a bunch yeah. of the Red Hood gang are all just corrupt cops. And mm-hmm. they basically stage a little heist to steal a bunch of cocaine or whatever it is from yeah. the evidence locker. And a shootout sort of type siege happens at the station. And that's mm-hmm. what most of the present day, or not even present day, the, the backstory yeah. part of the issue is. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's mostly fine. Like, I, I, I yeah. don't think it's a must read by any means. I, I didn't feel particularly moved by a lot of it, but... No, it, it, it was... Compared to what we were have been getting, I like that it was straight into the point. Um, and it, like you said, it was Gordon, uh, dealing with the corrupt cops and it felt more 
in tone with year one than anything else in, in the other two issues. So I, I appreciate that. The the back half of the future story, I really don't like how that resolved. Yeah, we've got the Jokerized versions of like all the, the Bat family chasing him and he's mm-hmm. on the run. The art here is gorgeous. I mean, mm-hmm. I've been saying that every time with the Sorrentino stuff, but it is absolutely stunning to look at just on a visual mm-hmm. level. The the red hooded Joker that looks like death. Very striking image. Like yeah. as much as I wanna hate that, this like deification of Joker, Sorrentino makes it look rad. Uh, hard to be mad at it. Yeah. Uh and you know, Batman goes investigating, Joker's left this clue, and Joker always you know, this is the big sort of like narrative point of the this this story by the end, and it's particularly in the future segment, is this question of is the is the Joker could he have won at any point, but has always let me win eventually so that we can keep doing the dance? Because Joker's effectively given him the clue that'll help solve the mm-hmm. Joker virus, this epidemic, which is basically bats, you know, sonar. Like the the, the like the, the sound coming off the bats actually cures this laughter virus. So and as much as that may sound silly, I will say the best panel of art is absolutely Batman riding a horse with a speaker. And then all mm-hmm. the bats chasing him. It is st- you could put that on a wall. It looks yeah, gorgeous. It does, and I like I like the way that Sorrentino puts the the bat in like the frames, right? Or as the panels, right? So it's the outline of the bats, oh, and the we bottom. see the people yeah. reacting. Yeah, and and we get a close up of Batman on the on the horse. Like it looks fantastic. Uh, yeah, it's it's just, it's gorgeous stuff. Uh, it's just yeah, your mileage on how you feel about that. Because he basically solves that and then goes home and hugs Catwoman. <laughs> that's, mm-hmm. that's that. Uh, you know, the stuff in the the backstory, uh, which is, you know, Joker kidnapping some of these Red Hood dudes because, you know, he wants vengeance on the Red mm-hmm. Hood gang. He also is already kind of there at the station pretending to be like a sad clown and then... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I didn't him. hate that either. Like, that was kind of funny. That was I, I, very... I mean, yeah, I mean, yeah. On if, brand. It feels jokery. This is the thing. Mm-hmm. Like... I, this issue is mostly fine. I think the weird thing about it, though, is part three of, of the ending to what's supposed mm-hmm. to be a story called Joker Year One. Mm-hmm. Nothing about this felt like, oh, the Joker's now set up and defined. This was his yeah. tale of how he became the Joker, yeah. or how he like left his mark. The first, you know, the first time he left his mark in the city, so that they all mm-hmm. would forever be scared of him. Yeah. It just feels like a random enough Joker moment mm-hmm. after a couple of weird issues of like extra like training yeah. and stuff that felt kind of, i don't know like i don't feel like i got like a, a joker not even I, an origin i don't want to say because i don't want a joker origin but even no. like a joker's first story i don't even right. feel like i got that here like i just feel the year one branding too is misleading because i know that's dc's brand and they want to do all that but calling this like first laugh or something along those lines where it's kind of this is the precursor to the clown prince of crime that we're all used to might have been a little bit of a smarter move because, like, you're right. It doesn't feel like a year one. No, you know? not at all. Um, this doesn't feel like the final chapter in some kind of like first epic story mm-hmm. by him. I mean, there is one panel I really like. He kidnaps um, like one of the corrupt cops, one of the Red Hood gang, mm-hmm. and he has him like set up in like a hall of mirrors kind of thing. There's a mm-hmm. panel with Joker coming through a broken mirror, holding a butcher knife. Mm-hmm. and it looks like a horror movie moment and i was like you know what and maybe this is because it's making me think of uh the garrison king story yeah. but it, it looks like a serial killer coming out from behind this this mirror 
and I actually think that looks quite cool. And I'm like, yeah, if you'd given me more of this, I might have been having more fun with this. Well, um, the way that he says, we're just going to have some fun, and then Kamikoli's art almost shifts on that final panel that's like a red... It's Joker's face in red, but it looks more ghastly with the, you know, with the lettering kind of taking over the rest of the space. Um, and yeah, it, it hits the right tone there. Yeah, uh, the, the ending of the issue is Joker going back to the bar with all the thugs that beat him up back in the first part of the story, and he locks the door behind him, the implication being mm-hmm. that he's going to kill every one of them, <laughs> and they don't stand a chance. Well, and it homages the, you know, killing Joker, you have the light going out on the, the bar, like the neon. Mm-hmm. You know, oh, so yeah, but yeah, I, nice asked, I also like the uh, when he's standing and he's lit up by the neon behind him, he looks properly creepy. There's the Joker. Um, yeah, you know, I, so, I just don't think any of the story felt like it was getting him to this point. Mm-hmm. It felt like he just no. is this now. He's just the Joker now. I didn't really it, feel like it, I got. He I... flipped a switch. There was no, yeah. like you said, there's no, there was no dimmer knob for him. Like so, with Batman, we're used to him. You know, it was the whole point of the Zdarsky miniseries of the night was. Him breaking himself down to build himself up, I never felt that Joker. It just felt like he talked to the the brain dude and then killed him, and now he's this, you know, person that was locked away. And it's just, it's not that interesting. Uh, yeah, but once we see Joker do Joker things, and it makes sense in story, it's not as tough to read. There was just no satisfying feeling of escalation. Not, not even an arc, mm-hmm. per se, because, again, I don't really mm-hmm. want an origin for Joker no. in, the, in the traditional sense. But even just an idea of escalating to the point where mm-hmm. he's realizing, oh, I can go bigger and crazier with these things mm-hmm. I'm doing. I don't even feel like I got that. I, I just, you no. know. So. The, whole, the whole idea of weaponization of fear should have been kind of the, the subtext. And there's there was none. Yeah. Now, we, we got a little bit of it in that last issue. But even here, there I feel like there's not a lot of tension as far as the Joker. Like We see him as the, the sad clown, and we realize it's the Joker, but there's never even any big moment for the cops to realize it because gordon's too busy with the red hood game yeah and, and you know? gordon you know is doing his heroic stuff he's making sure those witnesses mm-hmm. he's making sure that these corrupt cops can be held accountable so that's all fine jim gordon stuff mm-hmm. um but it's it just it kind of feels like like you say there's no moment where gordon's even aware the joker was there which mm-hmm. is kind of odd uh, it doesn't. If it, it feels like all the different parts of the plot don't feel that connected, they all exist in the same world, but none of them are really yeah. affecting each other all that much. Yeah, there, there, there's like a Venn diagram that doesn't cross over. Right, it's just three yeah. circles. So yeah. Um, so like I said, it didn't make me angry at last. Like last mm-hmm. issue, I was coming in here spitting fire. This issue, yeah. I'm just kind of like, there's a couple of good moments. Like I mentioned them as some good art, obviously from Sorrentino, but. Mm-hmm. I feel kind of just ambivalent <laughs> about the whole thing. Yeah. Like, it's it's on the better side of Zdarsky that we've had lately, so I'll give that. Um, it's a little bar, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, but then, then I was getting ads for the next arc, and it's, you know, Batman, or the, the next part of the story of Batman, a prison in his own mind. I was like, oh my god. <laughs> that no, sounds so awful. Yeah. <sighs> Please, just like, tell it a story. Sound, it doesn't sound awful from anyone, don't get me wrong. Like, yeah. Like, I think if there's certain creative teams, if you tell me they're doing Batman's a prisoner of his own mind, that's fine. But I feel yeah. like everything Zarsky's been doing on this book, with the whole Zuranar stuff, the mm-hmm. meeting different versions of himself and different Jokers, different Zuranars even, everything about this has all been about Batman dealing with his inner shit. And I feel like, I'm just, I'm sick of it, because I don't think he's I very mean, good at doing it. 
Yeah, even even him versus failsafe was a version of Batman, you know, being trapped by his own devices. So <laughs> like, yeah. can, we, can we just have a villain? That... Give me, and that's that's what I kind of liked about this is we had the crooked cops, you know, <laughs> like that's the bad guy. We want Gordon to stop him, and Gordon does, and it you know it felt great. And then when you see Joker take revenge on them, you know that also felt great. So. Uh, yeah, I was just, again, low bar, but this was a, a, an improvement from the, i say even the last two issues. So. I, I would agree with that. It is the best of the three Joker mm-hmm. year one issues, but that is the faintest yes. of, of, of the praise. So, mm-hmm. yeah. I don't think I've got anything to add, to be honest. I think, that, I think that's mm-hmm. all I've got. Matt, what are you giving yeah. Batman 144? I'll give this a, I forget what I gave last week's. So it's got to be a little bit higher than that. Um, I'll give this a 6.5. I'll give this... I'll go a 6. Yeah. So out of that, or 5.5. I was kind of mm-hmm. dancing around that area. But I think I was under a 5. I think I was like a 4 out of 10 I gave last one. <laughs> yeah. So, you know. I know uh, mine was low low for me, but I can't remember if it was... I think it was a 5. Because I, I had the art really stuck up mm. for it. I remember saying that, so... All right. Superman, issue 11, legacy number 854. This is Joshua Williamson writing with David Baldion on the R. So Superman came back from the Old West last issue for a little cliffhanger mm-hmm. where it seems like the anti-Lex Luthor squad are already in the tower. Uh, so that's where we pick up, although most of it flashes back to, okay, here's how that happened. Here's you know how they get mm-hmm. in the tower and what they're up to. And yeah. So, uh, I mean, how did you feel about this one? So, I will say it's it's more of the Williamson kind of stuff. Of I love the ideas. I don't like the execution. Until the longer it went and the more I start, started looking back at up, up the first 10 issues of this and seeing the pieces that were put into place and when they were, that I, I am appreciative of Williamson for sticking the landing somewhat, but it's still not all that great. You know, if that, that makes sense. Like, it's a a well-told story that's still not that interesting, right? Yeah, um, so, I don't know. It's one of these things where he's throwing these developments at me. Uh, the big one being here, because this, this one kind of focuses on Lena, and she's asking mm-hmm. about who she is, and the, mm-hmm. the Lex holograms telling her that she's, oh, well, you know, you're Lex's daughter, but you gave her to Brainiac number whatever <laughs> to, 13 there you go yeah. that's the one which was which was nice which is something that i didn't realize um the empiric stuff is I, I need to go back either i haven't read it or i've forgotten it um but i am familiar with a little bit yeah but i had forgot all of this yeah like, I, about no, Lena. I mean, that, that, this was obviously a recap for everyone mm-hmm. especially those of us who i don't think have read it i don't, I don't think i have anyway uh this was like a nice little just summary of who lena is and how she exists mm-hmm. And it sets up, you know, that the grandmother, Letitia, really doesn't like mm-hmm. uh, Lex and so on and so on. Which leads to the reveal later in the issue that she is actually the one that's kind of funding and like running this mm-hmm. anti-Lex squad. She shows up in kind of Lex-style armor and she's with the, the villains. So that's kind of your big kind of payoff here. Mm-hmm. I will say that reveal just kind of left me with like a okay i shrugged yeah. i was like yeah okay whatever well it made sense because <laughs> when she showed up and she was so kind of anti-lex you know it, the, again that's what i talk about where he was he was seeding things 
but it wasn't like again it's not that interesting but at least it's well told enough that we're not like taken by surprise like oh why does his mom hate him now you know it was all very clear from well, the start I, I don't know if i agree it's well told because i think if it was well told it would have been more than like one conversation with lex where she clearly doesn't like him i think it would have been a case of mm-hmm. making us actually not necessarily like her Maybe mm-hmm. she'd have a good relationship with her granddaughter, but even yeah. that doesn't feel like it's a good relationship. No, and and that's what I mean. It's almost a story. I'm like, it's... It, maybe well told is not the right term, but I don't have another piece of vocabulary oh, Because what, what I'm saying is, is that I think she's been, she's too thin a character. Because like, Letitia Luther mm-hmm. does not pop up yeah. often. I don't think I've ever read a comic yeah. book with this character before, before this yeah, run. No, and the fact that she lives on some private island in some far-off place. like yeah. That's the first so, time I've ever... She's a new you know? entity, so there's no like mm-hmm. dramatic weight to her just because her last yeah. name happens to be Luther, which means... Mm-hmm some time should have been taken in this arc to really develop her relationship mm-hmm. with her granddaughter and her son. And instead, all we've really had is the scene in this issue where she's complaining again about him and the initial mm-hmm. scene where she showed up and complained about him to yeah. his face. Those are really the only examples. So it's pretty one note. There's not a lot of depth yeah. to it. So turning around and saying, hey, she's actually a villain behind all this. I'm like, well, I never even suspected for a second she wasn't a complete <laughs> bitch. <laughs> <laughs> my big question is like when did she suit up in this lex armor oh you know? i don't know you know because like he also kind of wants you to make you believe like someone goes oh that's lex and she's like you can't he's still in prison it's like at no point did i think this was lex just because it's green and purple like, you know well i'm going to suggest isn't maybe the most original things in the world but just some examples mm-hmm. like maybe do a, a little arc here before this reveal where it looks like maybe she's going to like reconcile with Lex so the idea mm-hmm. is that you're building to oh maybe she's going to like learn to love her son oh no mm-hmm. twist she's actually the main villain or yeah. maybe you do something where there's a, an awkward relationship but they have to sort of coexist because they're talking about the, the daughter slash granddaughter mm-hmm. and you have them having to sort of like work together on that but it's never put them in a situation beyond just bickering at each other so like yeah. her turn out to be the villain is like yeah I guess that yeah. makes sense of course yeah. she is who cares like <laughs> Like, I wanted it, this hurts me more than it hurts you, and I'm going to have to do what mommy has to do. Like, that kind of vibe <laughs> to her, you know? Like, yeah. you know? Like, Lex, you're so inept, you turn your company over to your biggest enemy? Like, this is why I put this team together. You know? You're you're feckless, and just have her really, have her basically be the mom from Arrested Development, right? Like, and have <laughs> her talking to Lex like she would talk to Buster. You she, know? She, she, turns, she turns to Lena and says, go see a Star War. <laughs> yeah, here's some money, go see a Star War. And of course, uh, her how much does a banana cost? $10? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, have have that kind of relationship and I would totally get it. But um, but yeah, I mean, all the stuff with the chained and, you know, and, and the pieces moving into all that stuff. I was like, okay, that's... Well, okay, let's, t- let's talk about what mm-hmm. Farm and Graf do here. So, which one's which? Is it Farm that's got the glove or Graf that's got the glove? Uh, Graf has the glove. Okay. And Dr. Farm's the... So, it's Dr. Farm, Mr. Graf. Graf okay. has the glove. Okay. And Farm's the one that we really haven't talked... Yeah. So, yeah. so Graf's got this gr- glove where each finger's a different kryptonite, right? And that's mm-hmm. something that's brought. But it's all synthetically created mm-hmm. from scratch. They did some testing on Bizarro to sort of develop it, blah, blah, blah. Uh, so the plan here is that they use red kryptonite, specifically tailored, because obviously red kryptonite has different effects, but this one's hey, tailored to make... Yeah, but they have tailored this one 
to mm-hmm. get the effect they want, which is to make Superman angry. And their hope is is that he will get angry at Lex. And Superman does immediately go and grab Lex from mm-hmm. the prison, brings him back to the tower. He's pissed off. And then Lex says, you idiots, what makes you think he's only angry with me? So then Superman heat visions Graf's glove, yep. and that smashes into pieces. Uh, he swats uh, the chain like he's a fly, pretty much. Mm-hmm. You know, So he just kind of goes on a warpath, and it becomes this thing. And then Lex has to stab Superman with kryptonite, because uh, he's figured out that green kryptonite counteracts the effects of red kryptonite. So... Mm-hmm. But I think the idea is here is that they want it to look like Lex has just tried to murder Superman so they can yeah. use that against them. But also, they release this kryptonite gas into the city. And it turns out this was something that was being developed by Lex before Superman ever showed up. We get like a little quick flashback page to when he had his hair mm-hmm. and he had his Lex outfit, which I still hate. Um, mm-hmm. And it's like, yeah, he was develop- he was working with the kryptonite and making different things with it so that it would affect humans the way it does Superman. Although I'm sure that's not the way they phrased it since Superman wasn't around yet. But Right. It was It was they could weaponize this kryptonite gas and because it was an, uh, an idea he had when he used to work with Farmingraft. Which, I mean, I don't really know what I feel about that yet, to be honest. I'll just have to see what they do with it next issue. Here's my thing. If his whole idea of him being a hero is just because everyone's a hero in their own story. Mm-hmm. But when we get Grafton farms version and it was, you know, either they wanted to take it too far or he, he wanted to take it too far, you know, whatever it be. And that's what got them to flip on each other. And they still have the fight and he made it out. You know, um, I think that's a lot better than Lex coming to Metropolis to be a hero and being thwarted by these two, mm. you know, yeah, I I just I find myself a little indifferent to some of the developments here. Like a- anytime they say, "Oh, this is something from this like backstory of Lex that we are retconning into the timeline, which never existed yeah. before," it just kind of feels a bit weak and like lazy to me. In the same way that with Batman and Ghostmaker, oh, all mm-hmm. of a sudden this this rival Ghostmaker and now it's coming back to bite us all. Like, well, I mean, you've just shoehorned him in. He wasn't there. Like, mm-hmm. I, I I don't know. I just. It, it always bothers me when they sort of hinge so heavily. Like, like I, I don't mind them putting in like a, a little moment in the backstory that maybe thematically, you know, is relevant to something that's going to happen in present day. Mm-hmm. That, that's obviously a very valid thing to do. But I do feel like sometimes comic books especially really, really lean heavily in this idea is that we want to have this, this thing that's happening now be so set up in the past that we have to do an entire yeah. story about how it's set up. And it almost feels like a lot of the flashback is, it ends up feeling more like a prequel than it does mm-hmm. like just a part of the story where it's got all yeah. those problems where it's just there. It, I don't know. It, it's uh, it's something that... No, 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 that makes a lot of sense. But to turning that part of this was a plan that he, he concocted with them returns Lex to that, you know, he's ashamed of himself mm. for all of this and this is all his fault. So the idea that the... It's not just that they want revenge on on like... Metropolis, but specifically for Lex, because I feel like this, whatever this plan was, altered their, you know, but they look pretty villainous in the past anyways, but maybe it altered them going forward, because it looks like is, I can't tell if Graft is in the chair still. Uh, I think it's intentionally hidden, because it, yeah, either he's just standing a bit further back, and that's why Mm -hmm. it looks shorter, or he's in a chair still, it's hard to tell. But, like, if that's, like, the reason that Lex is, you know, 
that they want revenge on Lex because Lex left them in these other states and it's taken them this long to formulate this plan. I, I can be okay with that. I mean, you know, I feel like there's not a reason so far. There could be down yes. the line, right? Yep. But there's not a reason so far why this backstory couldn't be set after Superman appeared, right? Mm-hmm. Where this is like, and the reason why he's working so much with Kryptonite and with these shady characters yeah. is because he's trying to find out ways to bring down Superman. Yeah. And it could still have this relevance of all, all these things I've done in my past to try and like deal with you have, you know, made a lot of demons and buried a lot of skeletons and this is coming back mm. to bite. I think it would make more sense to me that way. I think saying that all this was happening before Superman yeah. feels a bit weird and maybe there'll be a reason by the end of the story why it's mm. important that it's before those days. But yeah. I just, I don't know. It's all a bit weird to me. I'm wondering with the time travel element that, you know, they sent him to the, the past, then Superman. I wonder if that's going to come into play where we'll get like a paradox kind of thing to where they only know about kryptonite and stuff is because mm. of of Superman showing up in the past and those if those younger kids that look like Grafton Farm weren't actually them they were the descendants mm. you know what I mean and like they they had heard about this man that could fly and you know from from back in the day um, because it's still a weird thing that I'm I'm still trying to place that whole story outside of Maryland Moonlight. Like, where does that line up in the overall run that Williamson's going for? It just, it, it does feel like there's more to be revealed still. We can't, like, completely mm-hmm. explain it yet. Um, yeah. Um, but I will say, I, I do like the Smallville logic of the, the green kryptonite knocking out the effects of the red kryptonite. That felt, I mean, you're you're rewatching Smallville, is that? <laughs> Unfortunately. Am I imagining that? Like, I feel like that was uh, a plot thread. It's not, I mean, it's not counter. They've used green kryptonite to, like, hit him when he's on red kryptonite yeah. to, like, subdue yeah. him, but... Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. I mean, I, I I like consistent rules for stuff like Kryptonite. I I am all mm-hmm. for there being like a Bible at DC where like, no, these are the rules. Yeah. This is how it works. Like, if you want to say that you can heat up green Kryptonite to turn it to black Kryptonite, I'll accept yeah. that. But just be consistent with it. Right. You know? No, that makes sense. Um, and on just the fact that it's synthetic too, and like stabs him, like in in a pretty non-lethal area. Right. He gets him up in the upper peck. Yeah, yeah. And it's yeah. it's not that you know what I mean. So. There, uh, there's that. But I do love the angry Superman panels like a lot, uh, just because Baldian's art is a little bit cartoony, right? And so it's kind of like, like over in uh, Marvel when they draw Hulk and he's like completely just like these rippling muscles, and it adds just like this extra mm. layer of physicality. I feel that here too with angry Superman, like there's this extra level because he's he's angry and the way that he's drawn. Um, yeah. And some of the stuff's funny, you know, like the way that he smacks away. Um, farm and uh, and the chained, and then when he goes after Luther, like, um, there's almost like a zaniness to it that I don't know if it was intentional, but it, it kind of made me chuckle. I think I like the layouts, and I think there's good momentum to the panels. I think mm-hmm. the actual art itself, I would say, I'm lukewarm yeah. on. You know, it's, yeah, it's, yeah, yeah. I don't know if it's the style is just quite for me ultimately. Uh, uh, in the non-action sequences, the faces look weird, and I notice like Mercy and Lois almost have the same face, just with mm. different hair lengths, you know. And I, I think that's just the style. And normally I could excuse it, but like I don't know when when everything's in motion and there's kinetic 
energy to it. It looks fine. Yeah, you're but right, actually. It's... I'm looking at the page where Lozzy mm-hmm. just came in and they're like standing around the computers and they're both yeah. looking towards the camera, as it were. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, they have the exact same mouth. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, okay. So, in, yeah, and when they're, yeah, they're looking to the right, right, uh, with the red background behind them. Yes. It looks, yeah, yeah, So... Yeah. But other than it, that, like, it probably doesn't help to keep having them both look in the exact same direction. <laughs> yep. Yeah. So, but I, I will say the action art is is pretty good, and I think like the character designs I think fit pretty well because because I already thought Mister Graft was kind of ghastly looking. I think Baldion's mm. Graft is even more, um, very very ghoul like. Not not quite a zombie, but feels very undead. And yeah. I don't know if that's necessarily what they're going for, but I think it works. You know, but but yeah, some of the faces, some of the other things, eh, you know, it's hit or miss, but it's still, you know, it's still serviceable. No, it's not bad art by any means. It's just I, I don't think it's necessarily, uh, you know, completely clicking for me. Like I said, I think the sequencing is, is good yeah. and I think it obviously yeah. flows really well. And I do think the book overall is a very easy read, both in terms of its writing style and its art. I just, you know, I, I, the characterizations and the some of the ideas and the the build that, that's being paid off here, I, I, I just none of, none of it's kind of hitting me like you know, strongly. Like I'm not angry at this the way I am yeah. at some of those year one Joker issues. This is just, mm-hmm. you know, it's it's kind of just okay. And it's what we've said about this basically <laughs> since he took over. It's it's fine. It's Williamson. Yeah, <laughs> yes. it's fine. So all right, um, all right, yeah. Matt, what are you uh, giving Superman? I'm going to give this 87.5. I think it's a 6 for me. Okay. Oh, so, you, so you put it even with the Joker year one finale? I think I do. I think I do. I okay. think th- this is typically around a 6 or a 7. This is kind of like hovers in that range. Okay. Uh, I think some of the moments in that last Joker year one, I think some had some standout moments that are better than anything I liked in this. Whereas this is more just like a six through. This is really okay. you know? yeah, yeah. I know you're upset that I'm I'm rating Superman equally to that. But... It's it, it's okay. I this landed with me more than it landed with you. So yeah, clearly, uh, clearly, that's fair. Yeah. All right. Wonder Woman issue six, legacy number eight oh six. This is Tom King and Daniel Sampier on the art, and this is paying off the fact that they built a team of villains mm-hmm. to come after Wonder Woman. I kept waiting actually in this issue for the, the, the Wonder Girls to show up and it never happened. So I'm wondering what they're saving it, those for. It kinda did. Oh, it kinda did? At the end of the fight, someone comes and grabs uh Steel. Sergeant Steel. Oh, oh that's it, true, that's true. I don't know if that's it, them though. I, I, that, that's Maybe to be, de- I, to I, be determined. It looks like bracelets. Yeah, it looks like bracelets like like Donna wears. Okay, okay. Um so uh, because I thought the same thing. I'm like, where are the Wonder Girls? Why aren't they like? I know the whole point. This is like the trials of Diana, and it feels very myth making that you know she fights all of these villains, and it's this big hero moment, um, like like the labors of Hercules or any other stuff from mythology. But I kept waiting. I'm like, isn't the whole point of their sisterhood is that they're stronger together than Diana mm. is alone? And it maybe may, it builds to that. It know? makes sense that they're smart enough that they realize that the villains will be too distracted fighting Diana mm-hmm. that they won't even realize that some other allies are doing stuff. Like, I, I totally yep. get that. Uh, yep. so, so this issue takes place around the Washington Monument and mm-hmm. 
Diana's talking to Steve. Steve ain't feeling so great, but it's partly because Dr. Psycho is uh, beaming in some thoughts. And he even beams in some thoughts into Wonder Woman at one point, Mm -hmm. uh, which we'll get to that moment. But he beams into Steve, and Steve's like, they're coming, they're coming. And then glorious full-page reveal of a gigantic hand smashing Mm -hmm. up from underground. And the whole time, of course, uh, the Sovereign is narrating, you know, he's telling the story to Trinity. Mm -hmm. And he's explaining, okay, how did we get her under there? Because that's quite tough. Well, Cersei used magic to put her under there. Okay, fair enough. (laughs) We had to do some really arcane, nasty things to make it work. And you're like, ooh. All right, the Sovereign's creepy too, on top of everything. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure we'll be prisoning the art throughout, but did you like Mm -hmm. the page of her transforming where it's like a yellow box, a red box, and a blue box of her spinning? The freaking spin. Like, (laughs) in in the Wonder Woman colors on top of it, um, yeah, and just... Mm -hmm. Plus, she looks cool with sunglasses on. Like, Diana really pulls it off. Um, and then just just her looking, you know, very, very much. I wonder, as I know, like, I know there's some comic artists that are wrestling fans. She reminds me of Statlander here at the bottom, right? Just, you know, the 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 big shoulders, just looking like a, a woman that can really throw a forearm. Mm. So, yeah. Uh, so when we get this fight scene playing out with Giganta. Uh, obviously Diana's trying to talk her down as she does mm-hmm. uh, and I think what, one of the things I really liked about this is obviously all the villains kind of like get involved in some capacity mm-hmm. one by one I really like that it the, the narration kind of like talks about how they're using each villain so Silver Swan right mm-hmm. comes flying in and her purpose isn't really that anyone thinks she's going to be able to fight Wonder Woman mm-hmm. it's more that she can be this distraction and that Wonder Woman will, will have to save her and that'll distract her enough that they'll be able to do something else. So we get this big set piece in the middle of the issue where they, they smash into the Washington Monument, and as she's dealing with Silver Swan, Giganta rips up the Washington Monument, right? Mm-hmm. Picks up overhead, and Dr. Psycho at the same time is beaming his thoughts into Diana to further distract her and make her more vulnerable. And Giganta comes smashing down with this entire uh, monument on Diana's head. Like, like, it's like she's spiking it on top of her, right? Yeah. And the next page is like just like, okay, Sergeant Steele's up in the top of the Capitol building watching with binoculars. Cersei's now sleeping as a cat because she's drained of energy. Mm-hmm. Psycho's drained of energy because even been in Wonder Woman's mind because she's so tough for just yep. a second, it's taken it out of him. And the Sovereign's pouring a glass of wine. He's ready to celebrate. Mm-hmm. But this all builds up to the but the narration at the bottom of this page, which says, "Well, uh, the voice came in over the radio from Sergeant Steele, Sovereign." And then next page is a full page spread of Diana with her hands up, holding the monument and stopping it from hitting her. And it says, "It ain't over." Like that's the, that's that's the message over the it, radio. We're not done. Was, She's not this dead. Was <laughs> a fist pump moment. This would this would be me. if this was a movie. I'd be on my feet in the theater. Oh yeah, like and you, my wife would be yelling at me to sit down. You're embarrassing yourself. You, you know? could imagine like the main theme of a movie, like the brass mm-hmm. of the main theme hitting a second it reveals that she's she's pushing yep. against this thing. Mm-hmm. It's such a badass moment. This is the yep. sort of thing that's made this run. Like it has all the 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 character building and the intrigue and the idea of building the legend of Wonder Woman. But it's these moments in the art where it builds to these payoff moments. Because issue mm-hmm. one had that thing where you don't see her the whole issue yeah. until that moment she turns around and dodges the bullet. Or not dodges, uh, deflects, sorry. Is the word deflects it, yeah. Uh, this is kind of similar to that. This was such a fist-pumping moment. I was so into it. And then 
she pushes the thing all the way, but you get these great, uh, like, red, like, empty boxes that just kind of, like, frame the mm-hmm. the action as the monument's flying towards Giganta and, mm-hmm. like, sort of lands on her. Uh, really good stuff. I, I and mean, see, and, and what they didn't count on, too, what I like about the Sovereign and, and the narration was they were going to use Silver Swan basically as a distraction. They didn't care if Silver Swan died. Yeah. Right? She was expendable. But to Diana, because Diana has so much compassion, especially for somebody like Silver Swan, someone that she knows, right? Because uh, she calls her Vanessa. She doesn't uh, address her as Silver Swan. She addresses her by her actual name. Which, what they didn't count on is that, like, yeah, if Diana was fighting for herself, the monument might have hit her, and that might have been the end of the fight. But the fact that she was standing up for her friend Vanessa... She, she was protecting someone else, and that uh-huh. gave her... The, and that the gave her the boost, and, the, and that's what they yeah. didn't count on. Gave her the was... determination. I, I like that a lot, too. Uh, uh-huh. I, I think uh-huh. that added a lot of emotional weight to it. Beyond, I mean, it was a really cool mm-hmm. badass moment, but that added this extra yeah. layer of, like, okay, it, this, this is really setting up who she is as a character and yeah. reinforcing it. And then it shows me that King is, you know, as much as this is a, a story that is, you know, there's the political intrigue and stuff, it's also building the legend of Wonder Woman in a way that we haven't had in a while. Because we've been told Diana's, you know, she's the the princess of the Amazons, and she's this person from myth. And I mean, even in that that arc where where she died and came back through the god channels, right? Um, this makes her seem larger than life than any of those things did, right? The the way that she's able to stop this giant from dropping the Washington Monument on her to save somebody, you know, this is like a this is a pretty seminal moment. In, in Diana's history no, that, going forward now. This is what happens when someone is writing a story about a character, wants to make them feel important, but understands how to do it. And it's something yeah. that happens every so often with every big DC character, every Marvel character mm-hmm. too, I'm sure as well. Mm-hmm. But every so often you'll get a story that does a good job of actually making the characters feel important. It's kind of like when you're doing a Superman story and you're doing something like War World and the whole thing's about mm-hmm. how Superman's spirit and inspiring those other characters to be what they should be yeah. is what the main point of it is. This is kind of really sort of showing her spirit not breaking. That's very mm-hmm. much what a lot of this is. Um, yeah. And funnily enough, on that page, uh, after uh, she she's thrown the monument back at mm-hmm. Giganta, You've got the sovereign like smashing his wine glass in frustration, yeah. like he's just livid. Uh, he he crushes it with his hand, like you know. Um, but I also like on that bottom of that page where you talk about where where she throws the monument at Giganta mm-hmm. and says, "We can say all these years later, like all all we can say all these years later is that she she was one woman, and that was quite enough." And I feel like that's the tag on this first arc. Is she is Wonder Woman and that is enough. Mm, you know, yeah. that is just like her her bare minimum is better than everybody's full capacity. You know? Um, yeah, and then the last uh hurdle, if you will, uh mm-hmm. shows up in the form of Grail. And they really sell Grail as a big deal because Diana looks up in the bottom of that page and mm-hmm. looks like, oh shit. Like after all this, I've got something else yeah. to deal with. And it's Grail walking towards her. And it feels like, you know, two Titans coming to meet. Mm-hmm. And the fight scene takes place over several pages. The narration mentions casually at one point that they fight the, the fight for over an hour. Uh, it's very bloody. Diana's got blood streaming all over her uh, mm-hmm. throughout these pages. But, but she makes the goddess bleed too, right? Yeah, yeah sure. Yeah. So, uh, and it's while all this is happening, there's a couple of nine panel grids, uh, and this is where Steel gets taken. Yeah. Where 
Yeah. Yeah, that could be Donna. Like, I didn't notice the bracelet before, but like, it's it's, not, it's, it's open to interpretation because all it yeah. is is a panel of Steel's face and there's a hand over his mouth and uh, just you see a little bit of the other arm coming in and you see that there's dark hair, which is why I think yeah. you're saying Donna. That's why I'm saying Donna because I don't think Yara wears the bracelets. Yeah. Uh, uh, but like, then it, all the eight panels around this, like, so it's an eight panel mm-hmm. grid and it's the middle panel that's that and then the other nine panels are just the fight that's happening. Mm-hmm. Uh, chaos and then it keeps going to the next page where again it's nine panels all of the border panels are all the fight and then the middle panel is just that mm-hmm. same spot that Steel was standing in but it's now empty so it's mm-hmm. showing that in all of this chaos he's been nabbed uh, but yeah fun stuff but yeah I like yeah, the fight's really good uh, even the final blows are a good bit of fun where at the start of the fight mm-hmm. Grail chose to throw down her weapon because Dan yep. didn't have one because she wanted a fair fight uh-huh. But towards the end, she goes to pick up the weapon to do the killing blow, and there's a great, almost full-page spread of Diana just punching her straight in the face, mm-hmm. uh, which is very satisfying. While saying no thank you, which which <laughs> I which I yell at my dogs all the time, so it's very funny. But um, uh, Diana like, collapses to her knees in the pouring rain, the blood streaming down her, and then collapses mm-hmm. on top of Grail because this is all taken yeah. out of her. Uh, mm-hmm. So it, it feels like an epic fight. Like mm-hmm. I think so, some comic books, um, obviously like really focus on like a fight scene for most of the issues. Sometimes depending mm-hmm. where they fall in the arc. A good example is maybe that last issue, of World's Finest. Not this week's, but last month's, yeah. where it was kind of a weak issue overall because yeah. it was fine, but it was mostly just all this fight and it didn't really have much mm-hmm. rhyme or reason to it. This was so well structured and it built to crescendos. Mm-hmm. Everything had stakes. It felt like the narration was revealing more things at just the right time to make the fight itself feel more epic. Mm-hmm. That moment where she, you realize she's deflected or blocked this, you know, killing blow with the monument feels like mm-hmm. a huge big deal and it really props her up as feeling really special. Uh, yeah. All this is really good. Um, it is worth mentioning here that they, they point out that issue 8 is going to be mm-hmm. kind of like a fill-in issue and they'll be back for the next arc. Yeah. Uh, so, interesting. Yeah, very, uh, very interesting. Yeah, we'll I, see. I also want to talk about real quick in this in this final section of the fight where, yeah, go on. where Grail's kind of gloating, right? And talking about like, you know, I, I'd heard that you have a divine father as well, but I see that you're always nothing but dirt. Right where, and this is where she goes to swing her blade down, and Diana deflects it with her bracelets. Yeah, and says, you know, that no, she was made from clay. You know, because you know they say my mother made me from water and clay, and and then she says and hope, and that's where she gets the the counter strike. And I just that's another another defining moment for her about this. You know, I am the women before me. You know, I am my mother's daughter. You know, I'm not just you know I'm not. A demigod, right? I am I am Diana of Themyscira. Uh, and it just makes for this great moment. You know, yeah. for when, so when she finally kneels down and, and collapses on top of this god, you know, like, yes, Grail's half Amazonian, but, you know, she's also Darkseid's daughter, you know? So for Diana to do this, you know, after everything she's been through, you know, to, to use that as her rallying cry, that hope, hope is what drives her, is, is a real fun moment. Yeah, I, I just love the moment of her, like, sort of, like, almost just sitting in the rain to let the rain mm-hmm. wash off the blood. It's just a really... Yeah. Like, they are throughout this. I mean, we've mentioned some of the bigger moments, but, like... Yeah. The, I think Simpiers obviously get a very pretty art style to look at, but I think mm-hmm. one of the things that really sells it is just how good the acting in the faces is. Like, between 
Diana herself being concerned or worried during certain moments of the fight or showing determination, but even just like steals like smug look in his face as he's watching this or the anger on the sovereign's face or like everyone is emoting. Everyone is like helping tell the story with their, Mm -hmm. with the art and their facial language and the facial expressions. It's so good. You could, you could definitely do this as a silent issue with just the sound effects and you still get the point across. Yeah, you know? uh, although that's the thing is the the narration, the the you know, the story that the sovereign's mm-hmm. telling it also adds so much. Like, yeah, I, I like every element of this book. Like, no, no, no part of it mm-hmm. to me feels like it's not contributing to the overall feeling that it's creating, which is for, for which sure. Is great. Yeah, because you know, because sometimes uh, yeah. you read a book that's really good, and you're like, yeah, but there's that one element that I could have just lived without mm-hmm. that, or it's just you know, it's it's harmless, but it's not really adding anything to it. I didn't yeah. feel that with this, uh, and I've typically not with this run so far. This is this no. is technically the end of the first arc. Obviously, it's not the mm-hmm. end of the story, but it's you know yeah. this is where they'll cut it off for the first uh, collection. Um, yeah, so. um, and the thing with the coloring too that I noticed in those those nine panel grids that it's basically everything that's kind of a blow for Grail is is kind of tinged with red, mm. but everything that's a, a blow for for Diana, it's got a yellow to it yeah, and so i just i love that storytelling via color too yeah that's fun and then also the last panel in that first nine panel grid mm-hmm. uh, where diana knees her in the face and the uh-huh. chin uh it just goes to complete solid yellow and red that's like a silhouette yeah. uh so like i thought that was going to be the ko because that's how video game fights in you know <laughs> so the fact that it kept going to i was like oh man okay cool um yeah i mean, yeah, I mean this is just like, top-notch work uh, the second nine panel grid, there's a, a panel at the bottom where Grail's just holding Diana up by her hair. She just sort of mm-hmm. like grabbed the top of her hair. And I don't have anything to say other than it just looks really good. It looks so yeah. goddamn good. <laughs> it's You feel the physicality in this fight as you know through those type of panels. It feels brutal. Yeah. And I wouldn't say... Yeah. Like, a lot of these villains that are teaming up here, like they're all various yeah. levels of like, oh, yeah, yeah, I know them from Wonder Woman stories gone mm-hmm. past and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Grail's probably the one that I care about the least. Yeah. But, like, again, it made her feel like a big deal in this issue. It, it's the fact that she's the physical threat that's being brought in when, you know, Diana's been mentally exhausted, right? This was yeah. meant to be the Sovereign's Bane moment where yeah, Diana's was, been broken. Yeah. This was supposed to be the backbreaking. But no, Diana perseveres. You know, Diana's stronger than this. So, um, but yeah, man, just the Sovereign's dialogue throughout too is he even says and that's where we made the mistake you know of you know so we we had us believe so she had or so she had us believe right that she was done this was it she was exhausted you know dear god what a fool we were so even though that it seems like diana you know she's passed out she's done this it's like oh no we we completely underestimated her even at this point that they took all the heavier hitters but Diana still has bigger parts of her story to come. Yeah, so. and if it is the Wonder Girls that took Steel, that mm-hmm. makes me think that when we get to the next like arc, it'll be more about Diana and the others going on the offensive. Like up until yeah. now, everything's been very reactive yep. to what everything else is causing to them. I wonder if this is them being proactive now, getting into yeah. the next arc. So, hey. yeah, very cool. Um, so, so this next story sounds like. Uh, a lot of fun. So it says we take a break next issue for Wonder Woman, Superman, and the Space Mall. So I jumped ahead, and I don't want to throw a wet blanket on anybody. Uh-huh. It's still Tom King writing, but do you know who's doing the art, Pete? Oh God, uh... it's Gillen March. <laughs> I knew you were going to say Gillen March. It's always Gillen March. 
Well, do you know what? I'm glad they're not doing the next proper issue then with him. I'm glad that it's yeah. like a month off for Sempier to like catch up yeah. and you know keep keep him on the actual main chapters. I, I wish it was someone better to fill in, obviously, always, yeah. but yeah. Um, it doesn't seem like there's a backup either, so it might just be a full story. Too. No, that makes sense. So, just you know, you know, thirty but, pages of whatever. Yeah. So, so when it said that, I was like, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna look forward and see because that sounds like a fun story, and I was like, Ugh. it makes it a little bit of a damper, yeah. but it's still king. So yeah, it may still be fun, but yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, speaking of fun, there's backup, mm-hmm. of course. Again, uh, this is back in time a little bit to when uh, Lizzie is a toddler or just a little bit older mm-hmm. than that. And John and Damien are babysitting. And the running gag here is that she just won't go to sleep. So mm-hmm. John's tried to put her to sleep, but she gets back up and she starts nagging them about things. Yeah. Damien tells her a bedtime story about he actually solved Final Crisis. <laughs> Which... <sighs> was he even in Final Crisis? He had debuted like... by then, yeah. This was after Batman and Son and stuff. Yeah, but still, like, I don't even remember him, like... Having an impact, so him putting himself uh, front and center is so funny. It's been too long, but I, I yeah. especially liked how he's how he's doing the dialogue. So he's it's like it's like the mm-hmm. bubbles are coming out of uh, dark yeah. side, but there's just it's his wacky version yeah. of what he'd say. But my favorite part was when he's, he says that he should. I was like, I'm Robin, as in the Robin, no Batman required. Yep. Like, all right, all right, David. So you know what that means? Yeah, I think you do. In dark side, <laughs> he's like, because this is a younger right. So like the the last couple stories of this is john and damien are you know significantly older than they are now you know because lizzie's kind of half-grown teenage and some the, of them the, this is more like the age she was in the first backup yeah and so it's closer to the damien now and it the voice is very spot on yeah. to what i would i would imagine damien so damien brags that he's got her to sleep but then she's mm-hmm. basically followed him in from behind and she's still sitting there wanting to to do stuff and then she's like <laughs> Hey, what about the moon? Let's go to the moon. Smash cut to a full page spread of them sitting looking tired and bored in the moon, except her jumping around with her bunny, who's also in an astronaut suit. Not, not just bunny, that's that's a, a stuffed kangaroo. Oh, kangaroo. Oh, yeah, sorry, sorry. Kangaroo, yep. yes. Yep. Um, and they're just sort of like, wait, we were supposed to have her in bed by like 8 p.m. What time mm-hmm. is it now? He's like, well, we're on the moon, so technically time zones are a bit <laughs> irrelevant yep. up here. Uh, yeah. So... Yep. They yep. take her back down. She finally seemingly goes to sleep. John and Damien both fall asleep on the couch. And the final little joke is that as they're both passed out on the couch, she climbs up out of the middle of the couch and starts looking at stuff on the tablet again. Mm-hmm. Uh, the idea being that she outlasted both of them. So, yeah, um, it's humorous. It's a fun little backup. But, there's yeah. there's a runner of that when he's telling the story of Final Crisis, he says Darkseid has math. And that's how he was going to destroy them. And so when she comes in after he thought he put her to bed, she goes, uh, dark side's in my closet and he has math. <laughs> and I just, oh, I thought that was so funny. It, so it, it's one of those jokes where when he said he has math or something, yeah. I didn't get yeah. it for like a second. I was like, math. Yeah. I was like, Oh, the anti-life equation. <laughs> equation. Yeah. And then, so, uh, as he's tucking her in after the moon, she says, did you, did you check the closet? Yes. Was dark side there? No. Was there any math? No math. Check twice. And again, these are just little small human moments out of the superheroes, and that's... I feel Tom King's really refined that through this, so... Uh, yeah. and, and I like the art here better from... Um, as, uh, Ortega, right? Um, it, it's a lot better when Lizzie's younger, because I feel like that art style kind of fits the kitty vibe a little bit more. 
Um, yeah. And so like, like the stuff on the moon just looks great. Cause it's, you know, her big, big smile, them both looking completely defeated. Uh, the body language is all there. Yeah. I had no idea Bella and Ortega was a woman, actually. I, someone retweeted yeah. her, uh, and I was yeah. like, oh, it's, Bella's a woman's name. Okay, fair enough. And, and I'm going to say, the only reason I know is because I every time we go through these, I open up Leah Comic Geeks now. Oh, and there's, a photo. Have a, okay. yeah. there's a photo now, so... Yeah, uh, fair enough. But yeah. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah, the art sort of fits the, the fun vibe that it's going for. It, mm-hmm. It's definitely a bit of a palate cleanser based, you know, compared to the main story, which is obviously this... Yeah ultra series everything's important kind of thing mm-hmm. this is more lighthearted and fun it's kind of interesting that king's the one writing both that he's, he's doing both sides of it yeah all right what are you rating wonder woman issue six do i go too high or do i dial it back a little bit mm, i don't know because because theoretically i could give this a 10 oh yeah yeah but judging based on that i'll just go 9.5 uh, judging based on but- what my noise just based off of the noise i thought <laughs> if, if i had said 10 you wouldn't like hmm but you did it a little bit more down towards there. I'm like, okay, I'll temper my expectations a bit. But this is a very I, good issue. I feel I feel like you're maybe overreading into things on my yeah. my various vocal uh, mm-hmm. noises. But uh, yeah, honestly, I mean, I wish I had a, like a spreadsheet up in front of me of what I've rated all the issues. Me for, too. For comparison's sake, uh, I think I, I I want to say I give issue one a ten, and mm-hmm. maybe one of the ones in the middle. Uh, I I think I will agree with the nine point five, but goddamn, it's uh, like it's it's. This has been a, a wonderful arc. I I've enjoyed everything, mm-hmm. and obviously it's not really over by any means because it's it's just kind of split into like many arcs. Yeah. So, uh, looking forward to it. one of my favorite books on a monthly basis right now. So. Yep. Like I said, I I, uh, I led up to this. This is the last thing I mm. read. So I read this last night. It was about time for bed. And I was starting to doze off and not because I was enjoying it. It was just, it was real late. It was later than normal. And once I started getting to the fight scene with Grail, it popped me back up. So it's very rare for like, uh, you know, a comic book to bring me back up, you know, to get excited to, to keep going. Cause normally I would just put the iPad down, you know, and, and go to sleep. I was like, no, I'm, I'm going to finish this. So, uh, that, that's pretty, pretty, that doesn't happen very often. All right. Nightwing 111, Legacy number 298, uh, Tom Taylor writing with Sammy Bajri on the art in this issue. Mm-hmm. So this is an interesting issue because this kind of kicks off. I actually did hear someone say this is the penultimate uh, arc on mm-hmm. Taylor's run. So I don't know if that's going to end up, but I mean, it could be because it feels like we are ramping up to, yeah. uh, you know, wrapping up things that he's been doing since the start of the story. This is obviously seemingly the return of Heartless. Uh, mm-hmm. Obviously, by the end of the issue, that doesn't seem actually lately anymore. It feels like someone's just mimicking Heartless, but someone gets their heart taken out in Gotham, not Bluetaven. And yep. uh, Batman obviously calls in. Well, he actually calls Barbara because he can't find uh, Dick, and she's like, uh, "Yeah, he's in the shower." And he's like, "Your shower?" It's <laughs> like, "Get him out here No, yeah. Come on, I need to talk to him. He's in Gotham. At your oh, even better. Yeah, yeah. So I want to compliment this issue quite a bit obviously i wasn't as into the pirate arc because mm-hmm. you know whatever it just felt like a, yeah. it felt like a fairly light-hearted kind of john obviously mm-hmm. there's a few in- important things that happened in it for the whole run but yeah uh I, I this to me felt like it were back to you know maybe not art wise because it's not uh redondo you know mm-hmm. i think basri's solid enough but it's not the same it's not as good yeah. but i think the writing here and the way it's set up and paid some things off in this issue uh so 
Batman swoops down when this guy's been killed, and there's a, a child, there's a boy, right? Mm-hmm. And we get this quick flashback, and it just shows, you know, Bruce walking away from his parents in the alleyway, and a shot of Alfred, and then a shot of, like, Dick in front of his dead parents, and a shot of Bruce at that time, right? And then there's a quick page, a scene where it's young Heartless, who, remember, we've established that he witnessed this, and he this was kind of giving his mm-hmm. taste for, for, for murder and death. Um, he says um, something about that it's the best thing he ever saw, and Alfred hears it outside the tent, and he's like, oh, that's, yeah. a, you know, that's a horrible thing to say. Um, and when Bruce walks out, he says, there's a child, right? Uh, which mm-hmm. is mimicking what Batman just said in present day, and it really sets up this idea of the importance of like seeing like this kid who's been left behind after seeing the murder of mm-hmm. his own his own father. Yeah. I I thought that was tugging on the strings, and then it paid off even more uh, later mm-hmm. on uh, with Nightwing and the whole um like tell him stories. I hear it helps because there's a flashback where Alfred mm-hmm. says, "Hey, Bruce, you need to you know did did you read them a story?" And Bruce's response is, he can read. <laughs> He's like, I know he can read. The point yeah. is the shared experience. It's the bonding. It, it'll help him. Yeah. And then it pays that off because when Dick's talking to this kid, but then his uncle, who's going to take care of him, he says to the uncle, read him some stories. I, You know, it, it really helps. And you just see Batman's reaction to it. I thought Taylor was back once again. It tugged yeah. on my heartstrings by comparing you know bruce alfred uh dick like all of them together and like what they mean to each other and like all those bonds yeah he's really good at the interpersonal stuff so with good. these guys so, so good. the whole thing too and when you know alfred kind of guilt trips bruce where he's like yeah you know i remember a boy who couldn't fall asleep unless i was in the room my back still remembers all those nights sitting next to your chair and bruce apologized he goes no that's i'm not saying that to make you feel bad I'm just saying, like, I I was there for you. He might need you. He's not going to say it. And that's where he says, you know, he's reading Tolkien. What can I do? And he gives them basically this Muppet book. That was a Sesame Street book that was called There's a Monster at the End of the Story. And it's all about childhood fears and about, you know, at the end, they keep saying that, you know, there's Grover. There's a monster at the end of the book. And at the end of the book, Grover's the monster. He's been talking to you the whole time. And it's all about this thing of you know, facing down fear and it's okay to be afraid, but what's next? And I feel like that is the story of Alfred and Bruce and then Bruce to Dick and now Dick to whoever else, you know, you know, going forward. And it's just Taylor playing all of these levels at the same time. And they all, they all end up adding to the overall story. Yeah. I just, I felt like he was, he was hitting those emotional beats really well and making it feel really important that both Dick uh, and Bruce have this experience dealing with this type of trauma. Uh, I, I just I thought it was really well done. So so Dick goes to meet Batman. There's a cool little moment where he skids his motorbike into like a a, a bunch of dudes. So there's this great panel of the bikes sort of sliding and tripping them up. But yeah, uh, so yeah, it's, it's it's good stuff. Um, interesting little tidbit as well to do here is that. Batman's like, hey, I'm working, you know, I'm getting along better with Montoya, but we need to kind of talk to the kid. She'll probably listen to you better. And Dick just calls her and says, hey, it's Renee, it's Dick. <laughs> Can I drop by? Um, Which, I don't remember Renee knowing his secret identity, but I mean, I guess, she, obviously this is saying that she does. Because, uh, you know, he shows up as Nightwing. It's not like he shows up as Dick Grayson. Uh, but yeah, so they... they 
they talk to the kid. This is where we get the flashback with uh, Bruce and Alfred to kind of set that stuff up. And then the other thing to pull on your heartstrings here is that uh, this kid is a huge fan of Nightwing. He's got a Nightwing pencil case. Uh, he's so happy to see him. He hugs Nightwing instantly. Then they play video games together. Uh, it's all all very sweet. Um, which is why it hits a bit harder when the little twist in this issue is that it's clearly implying to me that the uncle did the murder because he wanted all the parents' money. That he's going to, he's going to receive all that money now because he's looking after their kid. So it's all going to transfer to him. Whether or not he did the murder himself or hired someone, it does seem like he's behind it. Because as soon as he's alone with the kid, he starts you know, talking down to him, getting angry with him, saying you'll do what you're told. Um, how dare you get Nightwing involved? Those, those, they two better not look closely mm-hmm. at this. So clearly he's got something to hide. Um, and and the kind of Batman and Nightwing kind of recognize this when they're checking out the body. Like, hey, this doesn't quite match Heartless. Yeah, they, they took the heart, but the wind's not the exact same. It's usually cauterized. Mm-hmm. Um, just you know, other little things. There's that... there's finesse when Heartless does it. Yeah. Here it's really clumsy and, and heavy and yeah. Yeah. So. It really sets up, and the final panel of the the story is uh, the uncle dragging the kid by the arm really roughly, and you can just see the Nightwing pencil case in the foreground. So it's, you know, it really sets up that I think this book does a good job of making you want them to save this kid. Like, they've given you a victim Mm -hmm. here that I think we care about in one issue, and that's really good. And compare that to uh, what I was saying in Superman about not giving a shit about uh, Lexi's mother and her involvement despite her being around for a few issues. This is how you sort of form a connection because you you compare it to like their own past so we have context we understand it so right uh yeah i like i like to when the whole thing with the kid you might have said this when i had to deal with whatever we were dealing with um but it was when he goes you're on my pencil box and so the last thing you see is that pencil box with nightwing on there um and uh, another thing that i like too with the art is that the uncle when when he's talking to nightwing uh, at the police station, um, you can see his eyes and he looks, you know, like he's in over his head when it goes to the kid and you're getting the kid's perspective, there's no eyes coming behind there. You know, it's just the glasses and it's, it's almost like his mask is off now. Right. Like this is who he really is. Uh, and I thought that was a nice touch there with the art. Yeah. Uh, you know, Basri's, you know, fine artist, not my favorite by any means. Certainly, you know, I, I, I would love if this was Redondo. I know Redondo's coming back for the next mm-hmm. arc, the one that's starting in uh, May or June, whatever solicits we just got. Uh, he, he's back for that. Uh, obviously, we're doing this little uh, three or four issue arc right now uh, in mm-hmm. Gotham. But I, I thought this was a really solid issue. It felt like it was back to like dealing with the core ideas of the run. Mm-hmm. Um, it does bring up again that Nightwing has gained this uh, this fear of heights. Uh, there's a moment where Batman goes to grapple, and Nightwing's like, eh, "Yeah, I can't really do that right now." And Batman's like, "Oh, we'll we'll, we'll take the stairs then." But it's kind of like, you know, how long has this been happening? Why didn't you tell me? And he's, uh, you know, uh, he's like. I mean, Nightwing basically just says, "Oh, yeah, you you were in the middle of a turf war, and there was like the whole Beast World thing. Like, it's not really been been a whole lot of time." So you know, we're establishing all these things and continuing them, building up to the heartless stuff. Um, yeah. uh, so you know, that was a really good issue. I thought it was back to like dealing with the main things that we care about and sort of hitting those emotional beats that Taylor's been doing since his very first issue. Uh, it feels like uh, we're we're back on 
track to me with this. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. All right. Uh, and then there's a backup, which did have Frank Avella art, which was obviously pleasant to see. But I will say, I don't know how I really got much out of this, other than the art being nice. <laughs> Look, I'll never be mad at Frank, uh, Frank Avella doing you know the blues and oranges mm-hmm. like it looks great i have no idea what happened in the story I, no, I just there, know... I, there's someone yeah. called gray who uh-huh. the end is called the gray son because he's son of a man called gray mm-hmm. uh and he encounters what looks like a court jester who looks like the joker at the mm-hmm. end who's dressed as the pope who's dressed and as so the pope it's well because from what i got from this because once it started, I was like, oh, my God, this is not Taylor writing. I can already tell just yes. the way that, right? And it's in 14th century Normandy. And so they're talking about, like, this attack that had happened and that there's a, a like, a virus that's not the plague going through the countryside. Um, and it compares this virus to revenge. And you see this guy grab, like, a, like a, a halberd. And he sees the, you know, the wagon that he was living in. Um, which I think is supposed to be like the, uh, like, a, like a caravan. Um, uh, and that's, you know, like, like it's tying it back to the circus, but I'm like, if, if this is supposed to be about how the Grayson's got their name, I don't necessarily need it. You know, yeah, I don't give a shit. <laughs> I, cause, cause the one that I liked in there was that, that came up during court of owls is that he was, you know, that down the Grayson line, they were meant to be a talon. And they ended up becoming the gray son of Gotham. And that's where, you know, the name comes back. And it was almost like Gotham was continually pulling at them. And that's how Dick ends up back there. Uh, for this to end up being the Joker Cardinal um, telling the story and then can, comparing the son of gray to a demon, it was a little bit much. There was like a hat on a hat. And honestly, I just, you've spoken more about it than I, I was yeah. ever going to because i i i just felt like i was reading this it's one of those things where the narration just felt like nonsense to me where i just like i wasn't following it really that well because it didn't really feel like there was much of a through line and then i got to this ending with this joker looking dude and i'm like okay i just don't think i like this i'm okay you know yeah i I don't think i'll read the second part of this because it's part one of two I'll think I'll read the next part. I'm going to read the next part, but I'm not going to read the dialogue. I'm just going to look at the pictures <laughs> and see if I can put the story together. So yeah. that's going to be my challenge because uh, I'm never going to skip Frankavia art. Like, that, it's just not, yeah, it's not that, something I'm interested in. This was a big fat nothing. That's all yeah. I'll say about it. The art's pretty, obviously, but it's a big fat nothing otherwise. All right. What are you rating Nightwing? Um, I'm going to give it a solid eight. Hmm. I'm going to go 8.5, and it would be higher if mm-hmm. I liked the art more. I think if, mm-hmm. if this was Redondo or someone mm-hmm. of a similar caliber for my taste, I think I'd be really, really, really praising this overall. Yes. As it is, I'm still praising the writing quite a bit, but I'll, I'll go 8.5 just on that strength, pretty much mm-hmm. alone. All right, Titans, issue 8, Tom Taylor, writing with Steven Segovia on the art. So, uh, this is our first post-Beast World issue, and... Mm-hmm. We're kind of dealing with the fallout of that, the fact that Raven has swapped. It's the dark side of Raven and the good side of Raven is trapped in the gem. And Raven goes to see Daddy Trigon and he's like, why haven't you killed all those pesky Titans friends yet? Like, why are you working with them? And she's like, I plan to make them my minions, father. 
<laughs> and he's like, okay, I agree. Okay, I can get on board with that. I, Good idea. <laughs> I saw people complaining that like they only know four stories when it comes to the Teen Titans and the Titans, and they always involve Raven and Trigon. And I understand that criticism. However, reading Taylor's take on this about I'm going to make them my minions, Daddy, I there was just a complete vibe that I haven't read in other Raven and Trigon stories I, that I'm here for. I get the critique, but I also feel like there's not been a good Titan series in a long time, mm-hmm. and I'm kind of okay with a modern, like, big, you know, high-quality interpretation of it for the modern mm-hmm. day. Uh, I'm okay with it, because this isn't Batman v. Joker, where we're doing it, like, no. every year. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I don't know. I, no, and, like, and again, I understand the critique, but, like, as a fan of the Titans, I like the Trigon stuff. I like when Trigon is somewhat in the background, kind of just having his presence felt. And we've, we've had that during Nightwing, right? In the lead into the Titans, like, the whole soul, you know, of Blockbuster's daughter, that whole vibe was, you know and the Kings of Hell and all of that stuff was going on before all of this. And mm. so I feel like this is a continuation of that. Um, and, and it fits in uh, with where the Titans are post beast world of, you know, Sergeant Seal trying to spin that they can't be trusted. There's just, there's some things in comics that I am very, very sick of, but this is, this mm-hmm. is Trigon, no. a Trigon story in a Titans book yeah. is not one of them as of yet. Yeah. Uh, so we get a uh, steel who's the head of the sovereign uh, uh, well, Bureau of Sovereignty uh, is, is the thing, and he's debating uh, Nightwing's sister, the mayor of Bloodhaven, on TV about the Titans being a threat and about Beast Boy, and he starts mm-hmm. ranting about Beast Boy being this violent animal who no, no one can trust, and Beast Boy's watching the cyborgs try to convince him not to, but he's like, nope, I need to see this, and then uh. Raven comes in, evil Raven comes in, <laughs> turns it off with her powers, and is like, no, none of that, so. I mean that that's the real thing that we're dealing with here is the the mm-hmm. Raven and Trigon stuff setting up where we're going there, but it's also dealing with this idea of Beast Boy feeling judged and not knowing like how to fit in again because they go to deal with this crisis. There's a you know a hurricane or whatever uh, near Florida, and we reveal the new T Jet, uh, which I actually thought. See when they revealed the jet, I'm like. But they've got boom tubes. Why do they need a jet for? And then the very next page is like, oh, no, they're going to still use a boom tube. They're just going to fly the jet through it. I'm like, okay. They fly the jet through it. And the jet's more as a, of a response vehicle, right? It's there to help the people that, you know, they can't boom tube out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, they got, so there's them dealing with a crisis, typical stuff. Uh, uh, Tempest even gets involved helping the boats in the water who are affected. So that's a big moment. I, so another thing I love about... Taylor's he knows how to make it this dramatic moment where these rescue boats are trying to make its way back to Key West, right? And they're fighting through the hurricane. And then, you know, they go to brace, but then there's nothing there and it's flat. And uh, it, it's Nightwing's narration. And he's like, oh, the fleet will be taken care of. We're not leaving them to face a hurricane alone. We sent a tempest. And it just, it goes to Gar. It's Garth, right? Because Gar Logan, Garth. Garth, yeah. Yeah, it's just Garth as captain. Think, uh, think Wayne's storm. World. Right. Garth is right. Tempest. Garth is Tempest, which makes sense after reading year one that he's very awkward, much like when they leave the, the camera on Garth. Um, but yeah, but the, and then this builds from that into like one of the darker moments I've ever felt for Beast Boy. And, and he turned into a gigantic starfish. You know, and, and tried to well, yeah, overthrow I mean, the world. This, this is what I was getting. This is the main... Uh, 
I think point mm-hmm. of this issue is that he goes to save a family who are in a house that's flooding and he goes to save the kids and the dad hits him with a bat and tells him to get out. He's a freak that he doesn't trust them. Get away from my kids. Mm-hmm. And Beast Boy just sort of lowers his head and says, don't worry about it and leaves mm-hmm. all sad. And the, the art does a decent job here of like showing him sort of being really, you know, he's very, sh- there's a lot of shadow in his face as he's sort of like, you know, tilting his head down. He's walking mm-hmm. down the stairs with his head low it's all very like you know like wally's trying to intervene and like talk to this guy and the guy's like no no, mm-hmm. i've been watching the news i know you're all trouble you almost got the world killed kind of thing um so yeah uh which you know i, I think this is doing uh, this is i think this is good because it's consequences for everything that happened in that event there's fallout mm-hmm. for it it's not just going to be forgotten about and i think that makes sense i think tying it into you know, the uh, Sergeant Steel and him being the spokesperson against heroes ties in great mm-hmm. with what he's doing in Wonder Woman. So, good yeah. stuff. And it feels like it's probably all so seeding slightly stuff for this next event. This, you know, that absolute mm-hmm. power. It feels like this is going to build to Amanda Waller's next uh, thing, which we know they're all working sort of together on uh, building. So, yeah. Uh, well, I like too that it references the events of Wonder Woman where, you know, that talks about what they did to the Amazons. Yeah, she yeah. Melinda brings that up, you know. So it's also playing in an in-world continuity. Without like, I feel like you can just get that reference, and me should be reading Wonder Woman. But if you're not for any reason, you just know this guy was trying to round up Amazons. Like you know, yeah. he has his eyes set on the Titans. You know, there's no line they won't cross. And then the final part of the issue is Trigon. We're back to Trigon and Raven, and he's like, "Hey, you've unlocked you know access to a new power. You can become this." And it's the Dark Wing Queen, which is the title of this arc. And we just see the shadow of it, or the silhouette of it. Mm-hmm. And it's like a giant monolithic winged creature. You know, it's, it's, you yeah. know, it's just teased here, but yeah. cl- clearly this is going to be something that is, you know, in play by the end of the arc. So, yeah. yeah. Ah, I mean, I like this quite a bit. Obviously, mm-hmm. it, it was definitely not as like big and bombastic as the event issues were. But I think it did a good job of giving us like clear character fallout from the event. Uh, continued this, you know, what, what bad Ravens up to. Uh, but the Beast Boy stuff, I think, is the heart of it. And then the, you know, the, it feels like the world's been affected by the. I think so many of these big stories where everyone turns into a fish monster or everyone yeah. turns into something, you know, a Bizarro mm-hmm. or a, or a parasite. Yeah, it just doesn't get talked about after it ends. This feels like, no, there's consequences to this where now the world oh. is divided. Do we trust the Titans or not? Are they to blame for this or did they save us from it? Kind of thing. Right. And and you kind of, I kind of understand where that dad's uh, coming from about get, get away from my kids, but he's fine with Flash, right? Because Flash didn't turn into a gigantic starfish and turn other people into beasts, you know? So it's not just because it's the Titans, it's Beast Boy specifically. Well, I don't uh, think he's in love with the idea of Flash helping them either, but he he definitely yeah definitely true. Beast Boy is being painted as the as the right. big threat because he's the one that turned into the starfish. And and also the the whole idea that Dark Raven is kind of massaging this of being like, yeah, see Gar how they're treating you, so it it's almost like he's going to be the first domino to fall. Right? Yeah, it feels like yeah she's like this is weakening him so that she can mm-hmm. seduce him to her way of thinking you know right which which reminds me did you ever read the the john's titans run back in the day where they end up jumping to the future and they have like the i don't, I don't think they were called the dark titans but there was a dark version of them and raven was kind of like this where she had the trigon eyes and everything but 
Beast Man had become Beast, or Beast Boy had become Beast Man, and he was a lot more feral and primal. And it's giving me those vibes mm. of this is what happens when these two, you know, give in to their darker sides. Um, and and I like that that's being sewn through here yeah. uh, as we go, because the one good thing about this Titans book is it's very episodic to some other, you know, to the other things that that Taylor's been working on. Right. So we get uh, plot threads from Nightwing popping up in here and Beast World. And I'm trying to think what other. I feel that there's other stuff that it's it's playing well, with. I, me. But there's I, even I think for me, what I like about this book is that it always feels like there's kind of an overall game plan. Like everything before mm-hmm. Beast World felt like it was setting stuff in Beast World up. Yeah. And now, now that we're after Beast World, it feels like everything from Beast World is now motivating all these directions for the characters. Right. So it feels really well put together as a run to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yeah, so I'm 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 yeah. I'm, I'm digging. I think it's I think it's. I'm not saying this is the best issue because I don't think that, but I do think no. that on average it's getting stronger as it goes because it's it, yeah. it's got more built up to play with and more things to pay off as as we mm-hmm. as we keep going. Uh, For sure. Yeah, uh, and Segovia's art is, is pretty solid. You know, I like it yeah. more than the Basri's art in Nightwing uh, this week. Uh, but, yeah, I feel like this is the first time I've seen Segovia do Titans characters. Like that may be like true. The, the stuff with Cyborg and Beast Boy on the couch, I thought were really strong because you get a lot of the facial expression stuff. Yeah. Um, and uh, it was, you know, that's a side that I really like that's carried over from the show is, is their relationship of Cyborg and Beast Boy. I've kind of, you know, I think I brought this up on another episode, but I kind of like the thing in Johnny Storm in, in Fantastic Four where they very much care for each other, but there's also a very antagonistic. So when Cyborg's trying to get him to be like, hey, man, cheer up. It's fine. Like, let's not watch this. We can literally watch anything. I have Wi-Fi. Like, we can stream anything. Um, I really like that it shows he's going out of the way for his friend. And mm. Segovia's art really sells that, too, because they're literally just sitting on the couch. Yeah. Uh, and it's, They're all aware of how he must be feeling. And yes. they're, they're, they're trying to help. Obviously, yes. Raven, it's uh, coming from a bad faith place, but mm-hmm. uh, for the others, yeah. it makes sense. Uh, yeah, I think, don't get me wrong, I still think I like Segovia. He's like a really solid house style, uh, but mm-hmm. obviously it is maybe a bit of a downgrade still from, you know, who we had before. And I, I think yeah. uh, maybe that's just a case of, like, modern comics where the, we, we can't really have one artist do multiple arcs back-to-back yeah. unless we're getting a fill-in. So uh, we've got Segovia. I presume for this arc, it'll be Segovia yeah. the whole way through. Because I know Lucas Myers is coming. Like he's been yes. posting stuff. So I mean, we liked his work on on Beast World. So you know, well, yeah, he was, we he, was a, he was a a nice, pleasant find, if you will. Mm-hmm. For uh, sure. So yeah. All right. What are you rating uh, Titans? Um, I'm gonna listen. Um, I'll go. I'll go solid eight. Yeah, I agree with the eight. I I think I think it's a really solid chapter in an ongoing story and has some good character beats in there. Uh, so, but, but I wouldn't say I hit the emotional points that I think Nightwing did for no. me this week no. to compare them. So, okay. Green Lantern War Journal, issue six. Philip Kennedy Johnson writing with Montos on the art. So, uh, this is a good example uh, of of a counter thing to what, something we complained about last week with Batman, where mm-hmm. Zarsky brought in this character from the night that he wanted to bring back and make it tie into one of his things. This issue is actually guilty of this as well. But it's guilty of it in a way that I think we're both going to like because it's the stuff from War World. So, you know, uh, the War World saga with uh, uh, Olgren 
it makes it seem so much more epic now, right? Yes. Like the Revenant Queen stuff felt epic in the way that she was jumping universes and multiverses. And she has this big thing with Jon Stewart and wanting to corrupt him. That already felt big enough. Then we tie that the Revenant are a piece of Olgren from the first world. So he's the god of gods. Yeah, and she's like uh, his daughter, or she's like an avatar of his daughter or something like that. Of the daughter. So it adds this, this layer onto the Green Lanterns now that it's not just like alien stuff, right? We're playing with mythological concepts and it just makes me think of of you know we always hear that John Stewart's the builder, right? He's the architect. So to add this leveling up of him, and we're bringing in the myth- mythology from Warworld onto it, like Philip Kennedy Johnson is is doing that fantasy stuff again, but now through another sci-fi lens. Yeah, there's also that's an extra element here where the the virus itself is not you know it's not a virus. It's actually is mm-hmm. based to do with the spectrum of light. The, the it's it's like yep. pure light energy that's like taking over people, uh, which actually is kind of what gives John the idea to kind of like turn himself into just light. Like, can he transform using Green Lantern energy? And that's seemingly what he does. And he uses it by the end of this issue to seemingly protect. Uh, Shepard, the Green Lantern, who gets uh, stabbed eventually from the other... Bro, I thought he got red-shirted for reals. I go, <laughs> man, I gasp reading this, and my wife goes, what, I'm making comic book stuff, don't worry about it. Because um, I'm not going to explain the whole Jon Stewart, Shepard, all that stuff. And and so the fact that Jon, again, as the builder, he figures a way out and in, to, to purge this from him so it doesn't go and to save Shepard and to keep him going, it was... Some really cool stuff. I think establishing that the Revenant like virus, just to, for lack of a better term, establishing mm-hmm. that that is just the spread of a specific type of light energy, like yep. a Green Lantern light, mm-hmm. really does like feel. It feels like it justifies to me that then knowing that a Green Lantern can maybe like do something with their own light to counteract it, like it feels like a natural yeah. conclusion once you realize that's all it is. Right, and then when we see like the the constructs, especially like. This is where I think that the Green Lantern book and this book are working hand in hand, learning about how the light is reacting different now since the um, since the power batteries are gone, you know, and what does that mean for Ellie, uh, the construct that he left to watch over mom, you know, like has, has, did, yeah, the construct of his, his sister. sister, yeah, yeah. So like, is is she sentient? Like, is or is she just a piece of him that he is left behind? Like, it adds all these questions and layers to the story. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, because obviously there's a little tease with uh, her, uh, with the, the mother reading a book to mm-hmm. her at the start, and just a little green bit of glow in her eye to, like, remind uh-huh. us that she's just a construct. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then it goes into the big fighting stuff, where they're fighting the the the, the zombie horde, if you will. Uh, John's, like, building himself a green mech suit, uh, whereas... Uh, what's his face? Shepard's doing big dragons and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so there's a lot of fun stuff. I mean, but uh, admittedly, if you're going to make a critique, is that, yeah, there's just a lot of action in the middle. Like, a lot yeah. of this big stuff we're talking about is at the end. Um, mm-hmm. But still, fun, fun enough to look at. Montos's art is very good. Although, I yes. will say, I do think Montos's art excels even more in non-fight stuff. I think his fight stuff's solid. It's really good. Yeah. But it's the more emotional one-on-one conversations that I think his art like shines because he does like really good 
like heavy inks to show the emotion like that stuff even just that first page with the the mom and the Mm -hmm. the construct of the the little sister like the way that sells the happiness of her and how like sort of bittersweet it feels because we know it's a Mm -hmm. lie like it's just all there in the art it's so good yeah well because that last panel on that page on the first page where you get the glint of green it's almost an afterthought because you get so focused on on mom being happy Right. Because we've seen what this with her condition has been like for her and the sheer terror it's brought on her in here. She's like comfortable and happy. And it almost feels like the calm before the storm, you know, and that's all just told through facial expressions. Yeah. You know, uh, so once uh, the Revenant Queen reveals that she's connected to Olgrun, she grabs John, who's in like green light form at this point, and basically takes him to the place of the gods of the gods where he will now be like the reason why they want him they want a john stewart is because mm-hmm. he's a fitting host for Olgol for Olgrun, sorry mm-hmm. to to inhabit so this is all about bringing him into the world effectively it's uh, very, very dark side-esque right yeah. when dark side needed a a vessel before final crisis so, which i like so the cliffhanger of this issue is that seemingly he's been taken because shepherd's mm-hmm. left on his own and he's like oh god builder where are you yeah. builder and then the final page is back to his mom and the the little sister construct. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the mom was asking earlier, do you think your brother will be home soon? At the end here, she's looking out the window, sees this, uh, you know, revenant symbol appearing in the sky mm-hmm. and says, I think John's going to be a while. <laughs> uh, I also, it's kind of interesting as well that both the first and last page with the mother have this mm-hmm. sort of green kind of veins and like light sort of like yeah. design around the, the panels. It's an interesting mm-hmm. uh, differentiation from the rest of the the rest of the the book. Yeah, and as they get closer to that symbol, you know, they start to get like spikier yeah. and more menacing. You know, um, and it's almost like this uh, before it gets spikier as well. It's like more like there's light in it, whereas by the time mm-hmm. you get to the spiky part, it's like most of the lights disappear. It's just solid green. Yeah, yeah, yeah. for sure. Um, the thing with Olgren, right? Don't we have Olgren's fire being? Uh, it's occurring in one of the twins. Yes, so, uh, the the the, the, the girl. No, the boy. It was, the, the boy, boy that has, okay. has the powers. So, which I already forgot their names. I'm I feel terrible. It's Ozil uh, and Othil. There we go. And Ozil, Ozil's the boy, I believe. Anyways, um, I can't help you with so, that one. But I can tell you yeah. what the names are. <laughs> Either way, my my point is we have Olgren trying to come back right from the first world. But we have his power base in the boy. So I'm wondering if this is what ties the United Planets back into that war world stuff with, with Olgren, you know, um, through here. Like, is this part of the bigger plan? Is this, or is Olgren kind of just taking, taking advantage of the United Planets lack of control over things in order to, to spread this throughout? Uh, I don't know mm-hmm. if one has to do with the other, but I, I will I'm say- here to find out. Reading this issue, I was like, man, is Johnson not going to get a second book now that action is done? I would really appreciate one. So mm-hmm. I hope they announce something for like, maybe after the event. And I'll, yeah. Uh, I know he's got other stuff cooking, like you know, indie books and stuff, but uh, yeah. ho- hopefully he gets something because I, I could, I could I, be doing with it. I needs it. Yeah, yeah. I will say the art as well, the Revenant Queen, where she's just sort of like blacks and purples and like yeah. just like, you know, it's just like, it's like dark light, effectively. Mm-hmm. Uh, also really cool. In contrast, obviously, really well with the green because it's yeah. uh, they're very much... Yeah, this, this this form of purple does. Like, whatever it is, because it's not quite violent. It's not like indigo. It's not stuff that we're used to seeing. It's this this off, like almost lavender color, and it plays off the green really well. Yeah. 
Uh, all right, v- very interesting stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, curious to see where we go with this. What are you giving this issue, uh, Green Lantern War Journal? I'm going to give this 8.5. I think I'll go straight 8, just because, you know, a lot of the middle of the issue is just a big fight. And, you know, mm-hmm. like, so I will say that maybe it kind of lowers it a little bit. Uh, especially when I had like another issue this week, which was a perfect example of how you nailed an issue that's mostly fighting. This was really good, and I like I like what it set up at the end, and the emotional stuff's really good. Montos's art is very good, so mm-hmm. eight out of ten uh, for me. Batman Superman World's Finest issue twenty four. Mark Wade writing with Dan Mora on the art. So, uh, last issue. It was a little critical, it was fine, but it was kind mm-hmm. of just all one big fight until Darkseid showed up at the end. And the, the ending was interesting. The idea that Gog has the, the key to the anti-life equation mm-hmm. is uh is fun. Uh this issue is I think is a bit more interesting because there's actually like you know like payoff to that and there's the yeah. actual decisions being made, uh particularly with like Magog and how he ends up kind of the way he is for Kingdom Come, which is basically that he kills Gog so that Darkseid won't get the anti-life equation and then everyone's horrified by that and he's like what are you talking about? I just saved the world because now, now he can't get the anti-life equation and like yeah but you just killed him in cold blood he, was, he wasn't even conscious conscious but, rather <laughs> Yeah, he, he killed the hostage so the bad guys couldn't have him yeah this is like in speed where it's shoot the leg uh-huh. except it shoot him in yeah. the head <laughs> yeah yeah and, and yeah and I will say Wade has this is the most menacing Darkseid has felt in a minute because the last couple times we've seen him, it's been in these big events and mm. it just, he just feels like a character when he shows up here on this kingdom come earth, he feels like a force of nature because he's mean, just moving forward. Yeah. Credit to that first page. Like I think that very first yeah. page where Darkseid's down the, the, the left-hand side of the page, yeah. uh, the art there from Mora is just really good. Like mm-hmm. I don't necessarily think of Mora of doing like overly shadowy stuff, but I think it really no. helps that dark side image. It's I, I know you haven't read Once in Future because you're not a big fantasy, but no. there's a lot of this kind of stuff with the creatures in Dark and Future or mm. Dark and Future Once in Future. Um, so knowing the table, but I've been so used to the lighter and fully bright styles that we've been getting through World's Finest and some of the other stuff he's been working on at DC. That you get lulled into that's what's normal, uh, and so mm. when you get stuff like this and his, I mean, most most of the dark side stuff is like heavily shaded, right? So it's really driving this thing that dark side is almost a separate entity that they're used to dealing with. And it's funny because this is the same week we got uh, dark side as written by Damien and like the Wonder Woman yeah. backup, <laughs> which is yeah. the complete opposite end of the spectrum. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah. Uh, Darkseid's mildly amused at those two supermen and he just zaps them with the Omega Beam so they're both like down. Mm-hmm. He actually steps on one of them as he walks yeah. over them. Flash tries to run in, doesn't work. Wonder Woman and Green Lantern from this world you know, come in, doesn't work. Mm-hmm. It's just Darkseid, nothing's stopping him. He's walking right up to, to Gog to get what he wants and ultimately Magog makes the choice, David makes the choice to zap and incinerate Gog so there's nothing left. And then he's like, hey, I won Darkseid. And Darkseid's like, you didn't beat me. You beat mm-hmm. him, maybe. I don't care about you. I'm just going to leave now. But if the day ever comes, like, you know you didn't beat me. Like, you can wake up screaming my name in the middle of the night, you peon. I'm Darkseid. Darkseid is. Peace out, the, bitches. <laughs> the fact that he calls him an immature whelp, too. <laughs> yeah. 
Like, he's just going to fire that across. And then it's just like, I feel like that's where David stops being Magog and he starts being David again because the Moore's art here, this is the most like human he's looked in this arc. Yeah, but then he, be- then he sort of becomes Magog through the conversation with everyone else when yeah. they're like, what have you done? And I kind of like actually the idea that our Superman starts chastising this world Superman mm-hmm. for like, wait, did you not like set a good example for him? Like, what the hell? Yeah. Why, how could you let this happen? Why is he like this? Yeah. Um, and they're like, well, what do we, what, I mean, McGaw even says, well, what do you want me to do then? Do you want to send me in the Phantom Zone? Put me in Arkham mm-hmm. for this? Like, I just saved the world. Why is everyone being so ungrateful? Mm-hmm. And Superman's like, I honestly don't know what to do. <laughs> and he just walks off. McGaw just walks mm-hmm. off. Well, in that case, I'm just leaving. Um, and tensions rise a little bit. Superman is like, you know, he remembers the the mass graves of all the heroes that they saw earlier in the arc, and kind of mm-hmm. like that sort of compiles in with what David's just done to maybe make him think that this Superman of this world mm-hmm. isn't doing what he's supposed to do, that he's failing somehow. And that's when Spectre <laughs> just shows up. <laughs> God, he looks so cool. Uh, it does look good. They are here. Uh, Mora knows how to draw Spectre. Can't can't mm-hmm. deny it. And he's like, hey, I'll take you guys back to your own world. Um, and they're like, yeah, but what happens to this world? And they basically get like a, here's what happens in Kingdom Come uh, yeah. lesson. And it's all, you know, the art's great. It's really just an excuse for Dan Mora to draw a bunch of Kingdom Come stuff for a couple yeah. of pages, yeah. if we're honest. Uh, but they want to see what comes of David. And we see David as an old man after Kingdom Come, presumably. Mm-hmm. And he's like crying at the cemetery and Batman remains Superman that hey like he needs a Superman every world needs a Superman mm-hmm. so Superman gets to have kind of this sort of like word of encouragement uh, with, with David gets to hug him now that he's older now that he actually regrets a lot of his mistakes and decisions he's had some time to think about it um, and basically says even now you can still choose to be better I, I still believe that you can be better just you can't change the past but you can be better now uh, and it kind of you know sets up you know the final page is this like future where now Magog's like good and working with all the heroes of this earth. So yeah, uh, the, like the next next generation yeah of heroes. Yeah. So um, yeah, I mean, I think this this arc's been fell a really good arc, right? Obviously, more has been killing it. I mm-hmm. think the overall idea of it's been kind of fun enough and there's been good moments where some of the Batmans like clashing against each other and this issue mm-hmm. with the Supermans clashing against each other. I-, I will say the David stuff as a whole does just feel like, uh, like it- it's not been my favorite. Like I- I've liked what they've done with it for the most part, but it's not been something that's been super exciting on its own, I, if that makes sense. I-, I do think as a fan of Kingdom Come, um, and I-, I do like the fact that it makes sense that a failed Superman prodigy is responsible for the stuff that happens. Right. Mm. So I like that that gives this context more. And the fact that Wade gets to give Magog this happier ending, right? Because Superman tells him or Batman tells him that you're nothing but a weapon. Like you just, you killed Gog without a second chance. Like you're not, you're just a weapon. And so here when he's at these graves, you know, that's what his, he's, you know, he's like, it's all my fault. I'm nothing but a weapon. Please forgive me. And so Superman comes over and gives him this, this hope. They know you can still change. Like it's not too far. And um, I like what that, you know, again, what it does with kingdom come. And it was, it's very 
um, that's what I'm looking for. It was a, not satirical, but it's like when something, when you look at it through a lens and it's extra harsh to, you know, um, why am I drawing a blank on this word? I want to say sardonic, but it's not. Um, but it was, it was Wade's take on, on modern comics back then. And so here he leaves that in a better place because Magog's going to take this lesson from this younger Superman into the future and try to make the next generation better because all of these characters feel like, you know, the way that they're drawn here by Mora, they feel a bit more aspirational than the kingdom come ones that we met yeah. before. I think, um, I do like the idea, you know, cause it mentions, and if people haven't read kingdom come, like part of that story is that Superman mm -hmm. at the start of the story is retired and over mm -hmm. the course of it, he comes out of retirement. But the idea that this other Superman uh, chastises him for like not being good enough example for letting too many people mm -hmm. die. I like that that can sort of play. And I know, like obviously, Joker does bad stuff. That is that, and that actually mm -hmm. leads, that's like the final straw that leads to the retirement. But the idea that a Superman who's you know quote unquote better from another world mm -hmm. gives him shit for not being good enough. Like that, that yeah. I, I, I like that has been an extra motivation for him to like hang up mm -hmm. the cape and be like, clearly I'm not good enough at this. Clearly. Right. You know, I can't do this. And it does make this right. kingdom come world a little bit harsher, a little bit worse. Yeah, for sure. And just knowing, too, that he meant, like, Magog to represent Cable, right? Needs he's at the pockets and the metal and all this other stuff. So the fact that now he is kind of this multiverse hopping, time-traveling character, it also shows that not all characters are just that disposable, that we can still do good things later, right? And, it, and it's someone that, like, I don't love Cable, but I, like, I do mm. appreciate the idea that, you know, he was meant to be the son of, of Cyclops and Jean Grey, and he's meant to stop this apocalypse from happening, but the more he fights it, the more it's going to happen. I like that that Wade and, and all of that type of darkness, he has given his version of that character a, a bright way out, right? It's like, the war is not over, but he doesn't have to be that weapon, you know? He can choose to be something else. Yeah. You know, and I like that because that came from it. Cynical was the word I was looking for. Um, as a, you know, Kingdom Come had a cynical take oh, on these heroes. I thought you were looking for something more like specific to like telling no. a type of story. Okay. <laughs> no, but it was it was very cynical take on those characters that were, you know, not. Uh, they were a lot more sincere, and so here he takes that cynical thing and and gives David almost a sincere hope that he can change and be different than what, what he was and. You know, I don't think every creator gets the chance to, to finish their story like that. Yeah, I think it's like it's an unnecessary element. You know, I think Kingdom Come obviously just works on its own, mm -hmm. but th this is a perfectly solid kind of tie into it, and mm -hmm. maybe nostalgia to go back to it. Maybe giving Magog this kind of happier, hopeful ending is what mm -hmm. we'd like to do, and I can I can appreciate all that. Yeah, uh, and I think it's solid enough, but I I wouldn't say it feels like it. It's as you know, it's not quite as fun as some of the other stories that have been in World's Finest, where it feels like mm -hmm. Wade's just playing with these characters, and it doesn't feel strong enough to feel like it is actually super important either. It's kind of in this weird yeah. middle ground where it's kind of like a like one for him, and it was a it was a fine enough read. Yeah. But I, I, you know, compared to Shazam right now, which is just firing on all cylinders, this is like yeah. uh, a bit more sort of d down lower down in Wade's quality, which is still a reasonable quality. Don't get me wrong. Mm -hmm. Uh, but just not uh, some of his best, I would say. But you know, that's that's what it is. Obviously, uh, Mora's art's fantastic throughout. So yes. Uh, what are you giving World's Finest? Um, I'll give this a seven point five. 
Yeah, I agree with that. That's exactly the number. I, I, I just don't think it's quite good enough to be great, but it's yeah. definitely... I, I liked it more than last issue, for sure. Uh, next month, we're getting Joker meeting Lex Luthor for the first time, mm-hmm. seemingly. Yep. Based on the uh, little blurb at the end. Yep, there's that. And then following that, if I remember the solicit right, that's where the might characters are coming in. Yeah, so we're getting like a one-off story next time then, yep. presumably. Okay. For the twenty fifth anniversary, the twenty fifth issue, which makes sense. Twenty <laughs> fifth anniversary. Making, yeah, they're they're making a milestone of it. We're not so been doing I the show that long, that. Matt. Come on. No. Feels like it sometimes. Uh, uh, all right. Justice League versus Godzilla versus Kong issue five. Brian Bricioletto on art, or sorry, writing, and Christian Dus on art. So, uh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> where, this is, where, where did we start this with is this? a common equivalent of taco bell man it's I, it's, it's better than it has any right to be i was just yeah, gonna say it's that better than it is right to be but at the end of the day it's still kind of empty calories and we're just kind of i'm here to watch the monsters fight you know mm. um and this one gives us plenty of that you yeah, know a lot, a lot of uh, lois talking to mercy this week because this issue starts mm-hmm. off with lois talking to mercy uh, they don't look the same, though. They don't Deuces look the same. No. Are, they're uh, definitive, different characters. Yeah. So, yeah, Superman's obviously still in trouble here. He's in the, the pod, and Supergirl's uh, concerned and wants to go and. Uh, they, they, they want to look at all the monarch data that uh, Mercy's mm-hmm. gave them from, from the Legion of Doom. Uh, cut to Godzilla, a sea monster, and the Kraken. Mm-hmm fighting mm-hmm. next to atlantis which is what a lot of the action of this issue is and it's the various heroes trying to make sure the dome of atlantis doesn't crack and crumble because the pressure will kill everything mm-hmm. um so there's a lot of monster action it's a lot of them try to keep it up eventually it does end up i think it's the it's godzilla's beam when they try to get godzilla away from him. the beam yeah. just comes and smashes the rest of the dome or it makes a hole in yeah. the dome at least yeah. and hal is trying to hold it together with his green light well, some people are trying to repair it, and he just can't mm-hmm. anymore because he's losing all of his energy. And we get a little uh, guest appearance: uh, Jess, Baz, Guy, and John show up as reinforcements, and they sort of plug in the hole and like mm-hmm. we'll hold it together until the Atlanteans can can fix it. So yeah, fun, fun stuff uh, in that main action plot, and then the other stuff that's going on is Oliver Queen is on the boat with the League of Assassins and they're transporting the, the monster skull, which we mm-hmm. see later on in the issue what they're doing with it. Razal Ghoul, the dumb son of a bitch, is going to put mm-hmm. the monster skull into a giant Lazarus pit. The King Skullcrawler is about to make an appearance. <laughs> and it's going to be mad. It's going to be Lazarus mania. You know? Yeah, so there's, so there's some stuff with Oliver fighting the assassins and he gets I... off the boat. I, here's my question. So... We knew that Lex was building a Mecha Godzilla. In fact, we even mm-hmm. see it in this issue, mm-hmm. and it looks based on the one from the the recent movie, which isn't yeah. my favorite design, but it's still cool. Whatever, yeah. it's fun that he's built that. The implication I got from Batman talking to Cyborg is that he's also building something that size. Mm-hmm. It's it's gotta be a Mecha Kong. Why would they base it on Kong? Surely it'd be more of a Mecha. I bat. don't know. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Synergy. I don't know. I don't know. It doesn't make any sense. Like. The next Mecha character I could think of from the franchise is Mecha King Ghidorah, but there's no King Ghidorah yet, so it'd be weird no. for him to build it based on that. Uh, I'm expecting a big Mecha Batman. <laughs> That's what I'm expecting. Or or maybe Superman in honor of his fallen friend who just has yeah. been almost killed. Possibly is, that. Is this, because they are looking for Toy Man. Are, are we going to try to get like a, a composite Batman-Superman mech? 
We've done that you know? before. That's Lobe's Superman Batman. Yeah. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. So, yeah, I don't know what it could be. Yeah, I don't know. Um, uh, do you know what's so weird? Is I feel like a lot of the guest characters... Because at one point, Batman says, oh, I've got people working on what we're building, right? And you see, like, yeah. part of, like, a you know a cannon or something that's going to be on this mm-hmm. thing. Um, You see, like, you know, various uh, characters, uh, Titans, but also Bat Family. Steph is mm-hmm. there. And, you know, Steph's in her current outfit, her Batgirl outfit with yeah. the hood. Um, Babs looks like she's in her regular outfit. Um... Actually, who's that? Who's that at the top? Uh, you, you have Donna, Signal, Batwoman. Is that Batwoman? This sort of yeah. right above Batman. Yes. Okay, I will say Kate. the art there is a bit. Eh. It's <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. She looks. It, a little... I, I didn't get that that was Batwoman. Was like... I thought that was Babs until I looked over to the the, the no. right and saw actual Babs and went, "Oh, that's Babs." Okay, it, I guess. Okay, to yeah. me, it, it's the shape of her cowl because her cowl makes that it, kind of v it, it, it must ear. be there's no one else it really could be but it's no. it, it, it's a bit off anyway I, uh, I was gonna say i do think it's funny that jason is literally just standing there yeah well what i was gonna say though is that it feels like this isn't in continuity because obviously superman was trying to propose to Lois at the start yes but it feels like the vast majority of the characters are just more or less what they are in current continuity mm-hmm. except for some reason they've decided to give wally his open top flash outfit yeah uh, like early rebirth and i'm like fair enough i guess but it's just yeah it's such a weird picking mix of like what what, what continuity we're taking from here <laughs> well yeah and it's probably just to differentiate him from barry because barry's wearing without yeah. you know well i haven't do the belt and the all the other stuff that we're used to you know and the difference in the suits so yeah i was so- okay with i was okay with that just because you know he's Wally has a, a, a slight appearance here in a panel. In the, oh, yeah, it's one panel. It's just, so. he's, he's helping Batman build whatever he's building. Mm-hmm. That's it. Uh, Supergirl goes back to Skull Island. Uh, so mm-hmm. obviously we start, we set up that Kong's got a thing for blondes and Supergirl might yep. be this blonde that he, he's going after. But of course, he's not used to them being strong enough to like body slam him. So that's, yeah, to, to smack him yeah. back, yeah. Well, that comes up in a bit because when she gets there, Grodd and his army are worshipping Kong and they're bowing down below him. Supergirl shows up and is like, you idiots, he's not a god. <laughs> what are you doing? Oh. And Grodd's like, I'm going to mind control you. And she's like, your mind control won't work on me. And then it looks like Grodd is wearing like a kryptonite horn on his helmet, mm-hmm. which is maybe helping him like use his telepathy on Supergirl. Mm-hmm. So then he takes control of Supergirl and makes Supergirl slap Kong in the face. <laughs> and Kong goes down like a lump of bricks. It's quite funny, yep. if I'm mm-hmm. honest. No, it is very funny because he's not <laughs> expecting it, you know? He's Yeah, the look in his face in the panel before is just kind of like, uh-huh. huh? And yeah. then she just smacks the shit out of him. <laughs> uh, you're not the first person to be confused uh, by a woman, Kong. That's funny, uh, that's funny. Yeah. Um, uh, dear. Uh, Legion of Doom are bickering about looking for a toy mm-hmm. man or whatever. Uh, yep. uh, yeah, Shazam is on his way because uh, he wants revenge. He's, he's pissed yeah. that he basically like, he feels responsible for letting Superman, uh, you know. Yeah, get... he thinks Superman's dead. Yeah. Like he's not like he's not listening to Batman whatsoever. So, so he flies down to settle their stuff. Yeah, he wants yeah. to be a one man army taking on the Legion of Doom, mm-hmm. who have filled out their ranks with even more villains by this point, and yep. he's just going through and trying to fight them, uh, and you know, not doing it... a great job. It ends up being a Giganta who like 
just punches him. Although, uh, Blockbuster gets knocked out in the process. <laughs> Which, this gave me a good laugh. And it's, Penguin goes, did Gigante just kill Blockbuster? And Scarecrow's like, who cares? <laughs> I love the idea that two Bat villains are like, oh, who yep. cares about Nightwing's villain? It's, he's in plenty, like, look at his hairline, it's terrible. We're from Gotham, yeah. this is, this is yeah. really important. Then the Green Lanterns uh, show up and the, the Aquaman yeah. stuff, uh, which we mentioned. Uh, they actually put a shackle around Godzilla's foot, which yeah. is made of nth metal, and they're like, oh, he won't be able to break that because it's nth metal. And all I could think was, I don't know if I'd be so sure of that, Aqua Buddy. <laughs> um, it's it's very funny to me because uh, part of, of Godzilla minus zero is, is sinking Godzilla, right? And that's essentially what they do here, right? Yeah. Minus they, minus they, one for the reg, just in case minus, anyone's looking for the movie. <laughs> yes. Sorry, not minus zero, minus yeah. one. I'm sorry. Um, but that's what they do here is that they, they're pulling him to a deep part of a trench, you know, and then having the Kraken. Also worried about the Kraken because I know, you know, Godzilla is the, the alpha, you know, creature. Um, but worried about the Kraken here is going to eat a, a, a face full of, of the, the nuclear breath. But yeah, when they locked the shackle on him, I'm like, oh, okay. I'm glad this is keeping with Godzilla lore that we just got to keep him down below the water. Yeah, it's, it's yeah. interesting because they're learning from the Monarch files that Godzilla mm -hmm. is really just trying to restore balance. And because he's not mm -hmm. meant to be in this world, he saw Superman as something upset in the balance. Yeah. And that's why he went mm -hmm. after him. So that that, make, that tracks with the logic of the recent movies. Yeah. Um, and they're also going to maybe try and ally with Kong, but... Kong might not be trust trusting after Supergirl beat the shit out of him, so we'll yeah. see how that goes. I still never get over Grodd worshipping Kong. It's still <laughs> one of my favourite things. Oh, <sighs> dear. Mecha Godzilla's at the ready. We get a big full page spread of that. Mm -hmm. uh, so that's the whole thing. And then the final page is what I mentioned earlier. It's mm -hmm. Raz al Ghul lowering the, the skull into the big giant Lazarus mm -hmm. pit, which made me cackle with laughter because I thought it was so yep. funny that he's going to bring... Mm -hmm. a Something that's like because normally when they put a body in the Lazarus pit, they're, they're not so decayed that they're just a skeleton, right? Yeah, so it's really yeah. funny to me that they're just throwing in this skull and they're expecting like this beast to come. And I'm sure it will because it's a comic yeah. book and we're going to get to see a it. comic because I was like, you still need a body, it's you're just gonna bring back the head, uh, you know. So I don't know. Um, we'll, we'll see. I, I do love Buccellato's voice for, for Ollie here. Uh, especially after having the Williamson one for the last couple in Green Arrow, just mm -hmm. when he he's like, "Oh, the, it's the League of Assassins," and he's narrating everything, and then when he shows up, he's like, "I just didn't say all of that out loud, did I?" Uh, and of mm. course, it leads to the fighting, you know, and him launching arrows into them, which I, I thought was a lot of fun. But yeah, the way that they, he has uh, Roz standing over, you know, maniacally over this gigantic Lazarus pit. Uh, again, this is just like again. Taco Bell equivalent of comic books. like That's good stuff. Uh, yep. I love it. I, I know it's probably not good for me, but I'm going to be here until I can't. Yeah. Uh, all right. What are you rating? Batman? Uh, oh, no, Batman. Uh, Justice League. Uh, Godzilla Kong. <laughs> um, I'll go with a, a straight seven. Yeah. I, I'll go 7.5. Like, I won't call okay. it great. But it's better than you would think it would be. I, I will say, after every issue, I want to go back and watch Godzilla movies. And I never follow through, you know, because of time and stuff. Mm. But it makes me want to go and, and, and watch some of those. So, you know, if that's what that's what they're aiming for, mission accomplished. 
yeah, yeah. Well, there's a new one coming out soon, and you can yeah. rewatch about Mavis a month one. out. Yeah. Yep, and I am so excited. The more I see of it, the more it looks like they're leaning into the zaniness of of, and that's the type of stuff I grew up watching on cable. So, kind of the dumber the better. Oh, sure. Uh, so that'll take us on to the final part of the show, which is where we pick our favorite stuff of the week for it panel slash more favorite cover favorite art and of course top five books so yeah uh panel slash moment matt what you got so there, there was some in nightwing i liked the stuff back at the circus where the where the the young version uh of heartless is like oh wasn't that cool uh to see the dead bodies flop on the ground and alfred calls him out on it and the, he's like oh i don't I don't like being around this guy. It was very menacing, and I thought it was a great character moment. Hmm. Um, but my, mine's going to be from Wonder Woman. And, of course. And it, yeah, and it's when she prevails with the, you know, um, the, the Washington Monument just dumped on her, and she catches it, and it was just a major fist bump moment. Yeah, I have to pick that, too. It's just mm-hmm. it's, it's too much of a, like big moment like there's a couple of good yeah. things in nightwing that have pulled pulled on the emotional mm-hmm. you know heartstrings but I, I think that was just such a an f yeah style moment it's one of those things where you get to that full page spread and you can mm-hmm. sort of feel it building like you, the way the narration is not quite finished you know there's going to be one more box on that next page when it shows you yep. something big and you just you feel that anticipation and it's like hell yeah so Yep. Yeah. Uh, so covers for this week. Uh, I'll give a shout out to mm-hmm. the Dan Mora sweater weather cover for Nightwing, yes. where it just looks nice. It's just Starfire and Dick on a beach with a, a green penguin, which is obviously Beast Boy. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah. You said Titans, right? Or did you see Nightwing? Oh, I meant Titans. Uh, maybe I said okay. Nightwing, but I meant Titans. You did, because the sweater weather on that one is not. <laughs> it's, okay. It's taking a Speedo in the snow. Fair enough, so, fair enough. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, on Titans. Uh, I want to mention uh, the Wonder Woman variant by Jeff Spokes, which mm-hmm. is Wonder Woman surrounded by like uh, young girls, and I think she got such a like just a great like expression on her face. And mm-hmm. I feel like she looks like an actress, but I can't quite figure out who I think she looks like in that. But it was, it was nice art. That said, though, my cover of the week, undoubtedly, I knew this the second I saw it, is a variant for Godzilla Kong by Jock. Holy shit! It's all red and black with Godzilla and Kong sort of in this red kind of misty kind of like art style with a red bat signal in the night sky behind them. It's so good. That's the Yes. Pick. I saw that one and I instantly knew that was going to be your thing. Yeah. Um, other ones I want to put up, uh, there is a Green Lantern War Journal by uh, Raza and it's all mm. green and it's got... John doing like the oath thing with the hand over his chest, just the shading and stuff. It looks really good. Uh, I also like another Nightwing variant, but it's the Serge Akuna, um Cardstock variant where Dick's giving Babs a Valentine with them on mm. it in kind of cartoon form. It's real cute. He has cartoon hearts around him. But my pick's gonna be from Superman, and it is the uh, Pablo Lobos Via Lobos cardstock variant. That has uh, Superman and Lois flying up. There's like a greenish background. Just what it's doing with the light, it makes it look like it's painted. And I don't know if it is, um, but I I just really like it. Lois is in white. It contrasts with Superman's suit. Uh, Superman kind of has the the Elvis pompadour going. It just feels very classic. Hmm. All right, cool. 
Uh, all right, art of the week. I mean, it's Wonder Woman, right? <laughs> it's Wonder Woman. I mean, uh, there's there was other good art, absolutely. I mean, more more is more is close. Yeah, Montos right? is worth mentioning. Montos is worth mentioning. But it's but it's, it's yeah, it is. And even if you want to throw in the backup, Ortega's pretty solid on top of that. Uh, so, but obviously, the Sorrentino pages of Batman were were excellent. Yeah. But you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. not enough to count yeah. against. Like no. if we get a full issue of Sorrentino next to Sampier, that'd be a fight. Like that would actually yes. be tough. But yeah, uh, it's just all those moments, and we talked about the nine-panel grid and the the coloring, how it all works for the story. Also, the spin page, which could have been a moment of the week. On top mm. of all of that, like he's just Sampier's working. Absolutely, next level stuff. All right, top five books, Matt. On you go. All right, one is Wonder Woman. Two is uh, War Journal. Three is Nightwing. Four is Titans. And five is World's Finest. All right. My number one is Wonder Woman. My number two is Nightwing. My number three is War Journal. My number four is Titans. And my number five... Uh... I'm picking between two here. Uh, I will go Godzilla Kong. Just best smidge. I'll I'll have that beat World's Finest by just a smidge. Uh, but there you go. Yeah, strong week. Uh, eight books, and I I really mm-hmm. liked a good chunk of them. Obviously, the, the the most critical was was the first two. So I I always yeah. hate that because it sounds like we're going to be negative all episode. It's like no, it's just just we just happen to start on the negative ones. Yes. Uh, so I'll tell you what's coming next week from DC Comics, and we'll see how next week looks. Uh, we have Detective Comics 1082, we got Green Arrow issue 9, we have The Flash issue 6, Harley Quinn 37, Batman Brave and the Bold issue 10, The Penguin issue 7, Jay Garrick The Flash issue 5, Power Girl issue 6, and Amazon's Attack issue 5. So definitely more of a, a mixed week next week. Um, I definitely have less books as well yeah. but overall, but uh, yeah, I've got five books by the looks of it, so... You've got you've got more because you're still reading Green Arrow and Power Girl. <laughs> yeah, yep, yep. But I have two Flash books. Uh, Tech, I'm finally excited. Them giving us one every other week for a while Spoiled was really us. a treat. Yeah. And I'm like, I need I need my Ram V fix. That's <laughs> the only thing I'm reading right now. Yeah, um, it's the opposite of like uh, Joker Year One being weekly. We are like, oh no, uh-huh. this, is, this is just torture. We did to us. Stop this. Get this. Get this out of the way. Um, yeah. I was looking at Brave and the Bold, and there's. Nothing that really did, but there is a maps story um, mm. that's going to be starting. So, I mean, I guess that's cool. Also, Dan Water's story. Okay. That's uh, Batman Black and White Tale. Yeah, no, so, I, I think if I'm picking, I mean, it's, it's Detective and Penguin are my two like most mm-hmm. hyped, just because, you know, Penguin's been excellent. Yeah. And, and Amazon's Attack has been a nice uh, surprise as well. So, yeah. Uh, but yeah. So, yeah, well. So I'll be back next week with those. Um, let us know what you thought of this week's books, of course. On, you know, Twitter, on Discord, on Patreon, whatever you're talking to us on. Uh, of course, uh, you can support us over at patreon.com slash TV. Help keep the lights on. It really does help out a lot. You can also help simply by hitting the like button if you're watching on YouTube, uh, sharing us with your friends, or, of course, uh, rate the, the podcast on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast from. Give us five stars, all that usual stuff. Uh, but that is the show as we get close to number 400. 
I know. It's been what a journey. Uh, <laughs> We're getting there. Yes. Uh, so thank you very much for joining us. We always appreciate it. Keep reading DC Comics. And remember, never get lost in the Speed Force.